Today, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Now, you know from listening to this show that our money is broken. Fortunately, we have Bitcoin, a better money that will help us build a brighter future. But if you don't have a Bitcoin strategy and a trusted partner to help you execute that strategy, then you're probably going to fall behind. Now, I've known the Swan Bitcoin team for years. The Bitcoiners at Swan are mission driven and have deep expertise and respect in the Bitcoin space. In my opinion, this is the team you want on your side. Today, I'd like to highlight Swan's private client services division, which guides high net worth individuals and businesses around the world toward building and preserving wealth with Bitcoin. So visit swanprivate.com and learn how this concierge service gives you direct access to your dedicated Bitcoin advisor by phone, messaging, and email. Swan will guide you on complex areas such as self-custody, or you can choose to hold your Bitcoin through Swan with one of the largest U.S. regulated custodians. So make your first purchase with Swan Private and get $100 of Bitcoin. Just tell them that I sent you. You know, an opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy impacting wealth for your family and company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. Sign up at swanprivate.com today, mention Breedlove to your advisor, and get $100 in free Bitcoin when you make your first buy. Corey Clipston, welcome back to the What Is Money Show. Robert Breedlove, good to be back. Great to have you. Uh, super excited for this conversation we've put, been putting together. Uh, we've been trading notes on this for some time, and I think it's going to be quite interesting. Um, <clears throat> I think a good place to start is with one of our favorite thinkers, which is Mr. Nassim Taleb. Taleb. The original the, swan man. The you know, original that's where swan the name man. comes from for the whole company and everything. I've got the, uh, it's hidden behind a Bitcoin magazine now, but I've got the inserto there <laughs> <laughs> right behind the Bitcoin magazine. And he, you know, um, the Inserto is his series of five books. He's um, just a brilliant guy, basically. I mean, most of my audience probably knows of him or his thinking, but I guess the quick gist on what he did is he spent most of his life reading all these classics, and then he had a career on Wall Street uh, in risk and mathematics, and he sort of just synthesized those two worlds to really explain uh, a lot of very complicated topics in an entertaining and compelling way, um, largely as it relates to investment and ethics and um, many other things. I mean, he's a pr pretty universal guy. But he is also notoriously anti-Bitcoin as of relatively recently. I don't think he was like this the entirety of, of Bitcoin's life. But I mean, we know he was down with it enough to tweet about it and talk about it in you know 1718 and and enough to you know agree to write the foreword for safe's book right which came out what march or april of 2018 yep something like yep. that yep so so from 2011 to 2018 he was okay with bitcoin and then he did a hard pivot <laughs> uh yeah. he even wrote a bitcoin black paper which i haven't read but i've seen some analysis of What's going on? What's going on with our boy Taleb? How do you go from I mean, one of the most brilliant, at least brilliant writers? I don't really know him beyond his books, obviously. Um, 
to being a Bitcoin proponent, at least to some extent, to now doing this hard 180 to being completely anti-Bitcoin. Um, what do you think happened there? I mean, we kind of know what actually happened in public, which was that he and Safety and actually had a public spat over uh, approach to dealing with COVID. So mm -hmm. early 2020, you know, Taleb was kind of using more of a precautionary principle and saying like, hey, this thing looks like it could be really bad, better to be safe than sorry. And Safety and was more of the view that, you know, less interference is better and disease is probably you know, let's just build up natural immunity or whatever, whatever his arguments were. And they kind of clashed over that. And then that basically turned personal very, very quickly. Uh, they both got in a name calling and uh, all of a sudden Taleb was throwing the baby out with the bathwater and coming out anti-Bitcoin as well. Uh, I did read the black paper and there's nothing interesting in it, sadly. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I think it all hinged on basically an assumption that there was an absorbing barrier for Bitcoin, which if it's, if that absorbing bar barrier is zero and there's some percentage chance that it could be zero, then, you know, the whole thing by definition has to go to zero. It was like this weird circular reasoning tautology that the whole thing hinged on and just kind of falls apart if you understand money. So, you know, it was sad. It was kind of, you know, just a personal thing that he then tried to dress up in some, some academic veneer, uh, mm. but it didn't, it just kind of died on the vine because even, even people that didn't like Bitcoin that would read that paper wouldn't get convinced by it. Yeah, some of the, uh, I saw a mathematical analysis of the paper just saying it had bad math in it from yeah, several it mathematicians outside of Bitcoin uh, with no skin in the game, so to speak. Do you think that, so you think it was a personal spat with Dean that caused him to do this 180 and then he tried to put some intellectual window dressing on it via the black paper and other tweets and whatnot? I think is that's this, exactly what happened. Is that then, is he then embroiled in a self-deception of some sort? Seems clear that he is, but it, you know, he also may be smart enough to know exactly what he's doing. You know, I wouldn't put that past him either. It might not be self-deception at all. It might just be Bitcoin doesn't matter to him for whatever reason. And the personal vendetta matters more mm. and he's going to attack it with whatever, you know, so he's not um, not an honest participant in the debate, essentially. And mm. we see that a lot. And I think a lot of times people who really try hard to, to be genuine and try to have debates that have sort of gentlemen's rules of some sort. Uh, will come up against people that actually just want to win the debate regardless. And you may not even know their reason, or maybe it's personal, or maybe their statist as it comes to, you know, arguing with, you know, if you try to argue with Professor Plum, Mike Green about Bitcoin, like, you know, up until recently when you started monetizing through Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, before that, it wasn't a genuine conversation because he was just trying to win points like a high school debate captain or something. I think arguing with Udi is like that a lot of times. Like he's just literally trying to win points. He's not actually trying to find truth. Interesting. Yeah, I've I've had the honor of debating Mr. Mike Green, and he certainly didn't seem to be there to have any engaging or authentic conversation. It was more about just uh, putting points on the board, as you would say, and the yeah. <laughs> on the debate team. Yeah, I think Taleb is very competitive and really likes to win, and you know you know maybe takes the whole uh, revenge thing a little too far sometimes especially when it's personal and not something that so when it's when the goal is sort of like ego and aggrandizement then he really can't be that magnificent person that he described in you know my favorite chapter of uh bed of prometheus or sorry bed of procrustes right 
the Maxim's book. Yeah. Like, I love that. I love that chapter, but you know, art, not the artist, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. So he then, I don't, I can't recall. He does have a stance on revenge, right? That he thinks, I, I don't recall what it is exactly, but it's funny to me because in a lot of his work, he describes the intellectual yet idiot. He's always blasting PhD economists, fiat economists, essentially putting them on blast is like the worst, most intellectually dishonest class of humans <laughs> in the world. And Bitcoin is aligned with all of that pretty deeply. So it's, it's just weird to see him fall prey to the things he's critical of in his writing. Yeah, I mean, I like to think that the story isn't completely written, you know, because people with intellects the size of MSMs often can come up with an intellectual self-convincing or jujitsu of some sort to come back around through some other avenue that wouldn't involve apologizing to safe that would put safe in that thing like off in a box over mm -hmm. here and have some other whole reason to justify getting into bitcoin over here just like mike green did right like his new funds involve bitcoin and you know he's able to like you know not have to go back and apologize to all the people over here from the past and, and still go forward and, and be in Bitcoin. I mean, it is gonna be global money. So everybody's gonna to have to come around to it one way or another. It's gonna be weird to fight it against money right. in the future. Yeah. So, you know, I expect Nassim will be around for a while with his, uh, with his deadlifts and his slow walks and his, <laughs> his, his red meat. And, uh, and I hope that he comes back around to Bitcoin one way or another in the future. Yeah, that's a great point. Um... It just seems like to, I guess, despite all the intellectualism, all the intelligence, at the end of the day, we're still animals to some extent. We're obviously fallible, prone to error. And if the ego becomes really engaged, you can start doing all this post hoc rationalization, trying to justify everything you've done. I think we've all been through this to some extent. Um, maybe people that are more prominent in the public eye, like Nassim or, or just notable for being intelligent, intellectual, or maybe even more prone to that in that they can, you know, you can argue your way into anything. You could probably argue your way out of anything, or at least think you can. And um, that can open you up, I guess, to just these, these forms of self-deception. So it's really interesting to see him go through that. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing that it opens up a little bit, which is tough is the whole, you know, were you and I sort of susceptible to Galman amnesia when it came to Taleb? Because, mm. you know, I watched him have spats in all kinds of other areas. And because of the quality of his writing and his speaking, I typically gave him the benefit of the doubt and assumed that he was on the right side of truth when, you know, sort of getting in spats with academics and other non-Bitcoin areas. And now it's like, well, did he have a beef with that person? I don't know that subject nearly as well as I know Bitcoin. <laughs> so, you know, how can I be sure? of of what the truth was in that area it's like you know false in one false in all kind of thing yeah that's a great point so seeing him be mistaken about bitcoin calls into question his credibility in past arguments or yeah interesting um well i tweeted yesterday or today i think i tweeted like you know if someone is willing to lie about bitcoin what else might they be lying about Mm -hmm. which is kind of the encapsulation of that 
Right. Yeah. Great point. Uh, yeah, I just always, and you can never know, but you always wonder what's going to actually, you wonder what's actually going on inside someone's head, right? Does he actually believe Bitcoin is going to zero or is he trying to, to dress this thing up? And, um, it's quite, quite interesting. And Mr. Taleb, if you're listening to this, uh, you're always welcome back into Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, for real. I'll do a book signing for you at the conference in November. Come on through. <laughs> There's redemption for all of us. Which is even near the conference venue we saw him at, right? It's across the street. Yeah, from it's literally across the street. Yeah. Yep. I guess this is a good time to plug the Pacific Bitcoin Conference. Yes, come to the Pacific Bitcoin Conference, uh, November 10th and 11th. Santa Monica, the Barker Hangar, great venue where they've done, you know, American Music Awards and MTV Awards over the years. Uh, should be about three to 5,000 Bitcoiners, uh, no altcoin sponsors, no altcoin speakers, just Bitcoin, lots of fun, lots of learning. And, uh, you know, you're in, you're in SoCal in November, so come and get a, a little bit of warmth, uh, be a bunch of parties and, and events and dinners in the, in the days leading up to the conference as well. So a lot of people are coming from all over the world for the entire week, like Saturday to Saturday, something like the 5th through the 12th. And uh, we've got office space. If you work for a Bitcoin company or you invest in Bitcoin companies, um, you know, come on through and just get in touch. Corey at swan.com and, uh, and uh, happy to talk about how to get you involved. Boom. See you guys in yeah. LA in November. <laughs> Yes, and Robert will be on stage. We're working on how to pair Robert with somebody for a very engaging discussion and who mm -hmm. that should be. But uh, yeah, tweet us with ideas. Yes, please do. Um, very excited for that. It'll be nice to be in LA in November as well. Um, okay, so let's talk about dogmatism. Yeah. Uh, this is... Dogmatism, well, I'm going to give you, throw out a definition here first. Dogmatism is the tendency to lay down principles as incontrovertibly true without consideration of evidence or the opinions of others. And this is something, you know, I watched the debates between um, Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, which if you haven't seen those, I highly recommend them. Such a good debate from, you know, two really smart guys coming from two opposite poles, uh, but they agreed on this point. They had a deep agreement on this point that dogmatism was the primary problem with ideological possession of all sorts, whether it's religious, national, otherwise, cult, whatever. This idea that you have, I guess you have the ultimate truth. You have found whatever the thing is, you have the ultimate final answer, and it's not up for debate. It's not up for you know, you don't even consider the opinions of others, etc. And um, it seems like from the outside looking in, Bitcoin can, Bitcoiners can appear to be dogmatic about Bitcoin to people on the outside. Now, I'm not holding that out that it's to say that that's true, but I think the appearance is at least there. Um. What? It, but but the interesting thing about Bitcoin is again this definition: to lay down principles as incontrovertibly true without consideration of evidence or the opinions of others. Bitcoin doesn't seem like it can actually do that because it's this kind of open source, amorphous network. Like if you have a, a convergent 
or I'm sorry, a divergent opinion, you can literally just go fork the chain and, you know, do whatever you want, present your proposal, become a developer. Like you can always change Bitcoin. Bitcoin can always change, but people have, let's say the Bitcoin community has this social shelling point of like 21 million, for instance, like it doesn't seem like that will change in any likelihood. So what, what is your opinion on dogmatism? Is it even possible to be dogmatic to Bitcoin or is Bitcoin such a unique asset or institution that dogmatism is just not applicable to it? Well, again, I think in the definition, it says, you know, without regard to facts or other people. And I think those are kind of like two different things that we should kind of tease apart a little bit Um, because one would be, you know, I can be pretty dogmatic about two plus two equals four and two plus two does not equal three. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's I'm totally fine with, with sticking to facts that are kind of provable. Um, I think that people who spend a lot of time with Bitcoin come to understand it pretty deeply and also spend a good amount of time in the sort of supporting subjects that are required to have some depth of knowledge about computer science and monetary theory and history and geopolitics and all these different things that kind of add up to a system of thought that would, and a mental framework that would help you understand Bitcoin in context of humanity in the world, um, get pretty darn sure to the point that they're willing to, you know, put all their money in Bitcoin and put all their time into Bitcoin, right? I don't know how mm-hmm. much more sure you can be about something in the realm of kind of humanity and economics that's about as sure as you can be as if you vote with your wallet and you vote with your time to put it all toward bitcoin you know you're kind of that's the ultimate skin in the game there um and so yeah there is there's math and there's physics around bitcoin and what it is and you can get to the point where for all intents and purposes you're basically 100 percent sure that it's the right thing to be doing Mm-hmm. But the other half of dogma in that definition, I think, is a lot more around empathy and just being sort of aware of the other people and kind of how they're different than we are or than you are and how you and I are different. I mean, we, we agree on so many different things, but we could argue about just the things that we disagree on in public for the rest of this year on Twitter every day if we wanted to. Yeah, right. Cause we sure. are different humans. We're, mm-hmm. we're just two different humans and that's just how it's going to be. Um, and so I think a lot of it also comes down to kind of the medium, the medium is the message mm-hmm. a bit because so much of this is happening in kind of Twitter, which is in, you know, kind of a rewards short pithy dunking. It's kind mm-hmm. of an enragement platform. And you're also always arguing a bit for the audience, not necessarily with the person that you're debating, if you have differing points of view. So a lot of times you'll stake out a position that may be a little bit more extreme. And, you know, it's only, what is it, 280 characters or 140, mm-hmm. I forget. No, it's 280 now. characters. Yeah. So 280 characters now is still not, doesn't leave a lot of room for nuance in a reply or in a news statement or something like that. And so you're just kind of short and it just, it, it enrages and inflames a bit if you're not careful. And then with podcasts, you know, you're usually talking to somebody about some other things and the person that may have a different point of view isn't usually in the discussion. There aren't that many debates in these things. It's usually a host and somebody with a point of view. Mm-hmm. 
what what makes me believe that Bitcoiners aren't nearly as dogmatic as it may seem on Twitter and in podcasts or media appearances or whatever is all of the stories of how nice Bitcoiners are in person when you just mm -hmm. hang out with them and talk mm -hmm. to them and want help. And this goes, you know, all of my DMs, you know, hundreds of people who are into altcoins or no coiners or whatever, obviously I'm just as kind as I would be to, you know, a friend from school or a cousin or whatever, just helping them get into Bitcoin, sending them resources, you know, giving them articles about whatever altcoin wallet they were using and how to turn that <laughs> and here's cold card and here's treasure and like and here's an article to think about which one to get like mm -hmm. that's what we're all doing kind of all the time one-on-one -on -one. and when we're in person man i've gone even well after i was uh fully bitcoin i still had a tail of like another 12 to 18 months where i was going to like blockchain conferences and crypto conferences because there wasn't really a bitcoin conference scene yet mm. Right. Because I, mm -hmm. I was like 100% Bitcoin personally by like March, April of 18, but there wasn't a Bitcoin conference until June of 2019. Mm -hmm. So you and I, you know, were sitting, I think, right next to each other. I think that was October of 2018 at BlockCon. And yep. I've been to other blockchain conferences and that was all Bitcoin. And I would just go talking to people about Bitcoin. You're not in person being a total jerk, like haranguing them about their altcoin tendencies. Like you're having questions, you're teasing it out, you're, you know, questioning their assumptions, but you're grabbing lunch, you're grabbing a drink, you're hanging out, you're talking about sports, you're talking about family. Like it's just normal humans, man. Mm. I think people think that, uh, I don't know why, because they know that they're not the same when hanging out with people one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. as they are when they're on TV or when they're on Twitter. That's not exactly the same person. So why would they assume that Bitcoiners are exactly the same? Mm -hmm. like let's go like reductio ad absurdum like oh yeah Dieter Bob has a family like he probably has a few friends you know he probably is nice to his dog the little chihuahua like whatever like obviously you know he's staking out some territory on Twitter kind of very on purpose being as toxic as possible but I highly doubt he'd be like that in person you know and I also just don't think that you know, I think a lot of the altcoiners wouldn't say the things that they say on TV in person. You mean uh, on that last point, altcoiners would not say what things that they say on TV? What do you, you don't think they would say? Oh, like I think I think that uh, I think you would be hard pressed to find, you know, in let's take like uh, a green currency or something. So somebody's actually spent enough time to to know how to market their shitcoin, and you know one of the things in their deck is that it's you know it's it's energy efficient mm -hmm. and you know we can save the world because bitcoin bad but mm -hmm. they've been in the space for a few years and they know enough to put that in the deck i think if you had a drink with that person and we're talking to them one-on-one -on -one, they wouldn't lie to your face mm -hmm. just be like listen you know my startup was struggling like it was just the easiest way to raise money you know, the VCs mm. told us to throw it in the deck. You know, most of these guys don't actually believe that crap. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. So if you've been around Bitcoin long enough to understand the value of a supply cap and the necessity yeah. of proof of work to yeah. ensure the supply cap. Yeah. The and like when I say when I say A16Z is evil, that doesn't mean that everybody who works at Andreessen Horowitz and has ever worked for Andreessen Horowitz or has gotten funded by Andreessen Horowitz mm -hmm. is evil. 
obviously that's not true. I have friends that still work there today. Mm. My point is that is all that fits in a tweet. If you want it to get <laughs> out there and have the impact and have the audience go a click deeper and say like, why would they say that? Oh, it must be because in Jason Horowitz pushes all these altcoins and is ripping people's faces off and Bitcoin is real, right. et cetera. But you're just kind of making a, an impactful statement. Right. And I'm trying to point out that like what Chris Dixon is doing is immoral, not everything the firm has ever done. Right. So, so there's this pressure to speak in generalities just by virtue yes. of what Twitter is. It's 280 or a 60 second soundbite on a TV right. show. Same right. thing. Right. You've got to get your message across really fast. And you know, the thing that's going to get you booked again is saying something that's memorable. So you end yep. up with punchlines, just like a stand-up comic. There's the yep. things that you know get a rise. And so you start saying them and, and there's a reward to being like more direct and more aggressive and more yes. abrasive. That's what gets you booked again, right? Right. So and once you kind of see it from that side of the machine, you know, you are doing it for the audience. You're usually not doing it to convince you know, the per I'm not sitting here trying to win a debate with Alex Mashinsky. I'm trying to warn people against giving up their coins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to convince Alex Mashinsky of anything, the CEO of Celsius, right. ever, right? I just need to use him as a foil to point out that people like that don't have your best interests in mind. Yeah. 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 Great point. So I, I would largely agree with this that, well, first of all, I think every Bitcoiner would agree money that cannot be printed is incontrovertibly good because printing money is not it's theft right so we're talking about getting yes. theft out of the system that's a good thing as long as you agree that theft is a bad thing which is pretty universal twitter though the medium is the message i think is the right descriptor here and it i guess in a way incentivizes to some extent uh, as you said, enragement platform, you could also say just to be a bit more of a schmuck, perhaps, and that you just have to get these things into pithy little statements and throw them to get them to go far. So you're going to... Uh, schmuck wouldn't be the word. I think it, it just, it rewards sharper elbows, I think is the key, mm, like putting okay. a sharper point on things and, and being a little bit more combat combative, mm. uh, you know, clearly works. It makes the message travel. So if your goal is to if your goal is like a, a message that is positive for Bitcoin and you can be 10% more aggressive in the messaging, but it'll get seen a hundred times more mm -hmm. then obviously right. the incentive is there. But that creates these feedbacks that we're, everyone's trying to 10% one up each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can get, things can get a little bit <laughs> wacky. Um, and I yep. guess the last, this is, back to mainstream or let's just say traditional media pre-digital age if it bleeds it leads used to be one of these mm -hmm. sayings um there is this we're wired biologically right to pay attention to things that could hurt us or um cause pain or things that are risky more than we are things that are good so perhaps in these communications on twitter um you know if it bleeds it leads in a way right if you say something mm -hmm. with sharper elbows it could go further as you're describing. Absolutely. Uh, your point though on Bitcoiners in person, it really is just the opposite of what you would expect. If you just trolled Twitter for a year and engaged with Bitcoiners, you would think, holy shit, these people are like <laughs> uh, rageaholics or something, but then you see them in person yeah. and they're just the kindest, most authentic, 
again, generalizing, but I can't even think of a bad interaction I've had in person with a Bitcoiner mm-hmm. in years, in six it's, years. It's almost any time that it's not public, right? Because I do mm. a, a lot of, you know, kind of seminars for like, I've talked to like groups of blockchain interested employees at Blackstone and BlackRock and Google and like all these companies. And I talked to YPO chapters and, you know, the percentage of, you know, if there's 50 people, there's going to be two or three people that are really into Bitcoin. And everybody else is going to ask you about Cardano and Ethereum and like, why is it Bitcoin? And they're all Keynesians. And, you know, they just come with all the baggage that we had five years ago, right? Or 10 years ago. And for some of your <laughs> listeners. Um, so you just, you just, it's easy to be human. It's just different when you're talking for an audience. It just is. It, it always right. is. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a great point. And Again, back to where you were talking about this money cult thing. I mean, there is, however we want to cut this, it is ultimately kind of a cult in a way, right? There's a culture, at least, surrounding Bitcoin. And if a culture is its own thing, its own organism, then it's going to have to have a defense system. And I guess that's what this is, right? People come at Bitcoin with different points or different arguments especially when you've heard those points and arguments many 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 times you start to have a programmatic response to them right it's like oh here's that argument again run counter argument to be send right whatever it is so yeah i mean some people deal with it that way i think it's really clear that there's no you know one culture among bitcoiners that's obvious i mean there's tens of millions of people yeah around the world, they probably call themselves Bitcoiners. And even by a tighter definition, there's probably a couple million. Mm. And so it's completely impossible to have any sort of unified view, uh, let alone the fact that there's no unified view of like what being a Bitcoiner is or a set of views in any, any normally defined set of categories that would be monolithic, even on Bitcoin Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, not even in a Telegram group of three or 400 Bitcoiners that seems even tighter is still yeah. going to have tons of arguments about a million different things. I see it in your group. I see it in my groups. Like people are arguing constantly oh, yeah. <laughs> about all kinds of different things. Right. So I, I just, I kind of reject that out of hand. I think where there is a bit of a monoculture is there are a lot of Bitcoiners who have, have come to the, what I think is a realization, but certainly from somebody else's point of view could be an opinion that, uh, at this point, I think the evidence is in that non-Bitcoin cryptos are actually a strong net negative for humanity and certainly for Bitcoin and that they're not providing any sort of like regulatory screen for Bitcoin anymore. They're making mm-hmm. it much harder for Bitcoin, that there aren't innovations happening in altcoins really that are going to be useful for Bitcoin or wouldn't come up with research around Bitcoin. Again, if you took all of that investment and put it toward research on Bitcoin. That's what you're not seeing. Just like a government taxing the taxing the village to right. build a bridge. Well, you can see the bridge. Okay, sure. I can see you've got these shit coins. Great. Whatever you got Ave sort of working, but the only things on it are unregistered securities that can never exist in the future. Like you didn't actually do anything. But if you took all that money from all this DeFi investment, $40 billion of LP money for crypto equity in the last two years and put a tenth of that, $4 billion toward building on Bitcoin. Like that would be like, like 150 to 200 X, all of the investment ever put into Bitcoin startups. 
Right. If you put like one tenth of the crypto VC into Bitcoin, just from the last couple of years, would be like two orders of magnitude more investment in Bitcoin. Right. Right. That's a, so, and what we can't see is yeah. all of the businesses that didn't get built and the things that would have been a hundred times more valuable than that one bridge that they used the, the tax money on, right? We don't see that this crypto crypto is a massive tax on human progress and freedom. Now that is a brilliant framing. Uh, getting into the seen versus the unseen goes straight to yep. uh, Henry Hazlitt's economics in one lesson. I've never conceived of it that way though, as a tax. So it's a it's a giant yeah. drag or or dissipation of for Bitcoin, basically. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we that's what we don't see. And I think that is the right framing. And I came up with it this morning. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. I like it. Um, I would add here too that um, so again, Bitcoin, I don't think dogmatism applies to Bitcoin because it has this sort of adaptive nature to it. But also in that fiat, by its very nature, is dogmatic, right? It's even even the meme on the U.S. dollar, in God we trust. Like, it's not in God we trust. It's in Fed we trust, obviously. They're saying, like, don't ask. It's almost implied, right? Don't ask questions. It's just in Fed you trust. So it's there's a dogmatism built into fiat currency that is necessary for its, uh, for it to be a thing, right? You have to just kind of put your faith in something. And it doesn't again, because Bitcoin is not being forced on anyone, people are just figuring it out for themselves. Um, that seems to be like, you can't, seems like you can't be dogmatic about a thing that's not being forced upon you. Um, maybe another way to say that is, since Bitcoin's adaptive, it does not suffer from that uneditability, if that's even a word, that JP and Sam Harris identified as the problem with dogmatism. So would any, is there anything in the world? What, if anything, would cause you to change your mind about Bitcoin? I think it would only be sort of at the margins and like changing my mind about the, the path that we're on or sort of, you know, likelihood of certain levels of adoption or price or things like that. So I think things about how I see Bitcoin rolling out could change but I don't really see, I don't see in my lifetime or the lifetime of my children's children, the idea of Bitcoin changing fundamentally mm. or a conception of, of what Bitcoin is, state-free money, money outside the control of any centralized party. Like, mm -hmm. I think that can't be put back in the box. Yeah. You know, so that, that lives now that exists like fire or the wheel or the steam engine or agriculture, you know, I just don't, I don't think we humans will ever be free of Bitcoin ever again. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. We won't we'll never be free of Bitcoin again, but if Bitcoin's the ultimate form of cash, cash is the ultimate instrument of freedom. <laughs> and it's like, yep. this is weird. Like, every time we talk about Bitcoin at this level of depth, it ends up breaking your frame in a way. So we're saying we're not going to be free of this thing that gives us ultimate freedom. <laughs> I've got something that's not on the agenda that I remembered I did want to talk about. Um, and it was basically if Bitcoin doesn't look like, if Bitcoin's adoption doesn't look like a new information technology and it looks more like, you know, the 200 year rollout of the industrial revolution, 
hmm. or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. how prepared are we as Bitcoiners that wish tomorrow was here today? How prepared are we for like a very long slog if it goes that way? It's bear market chat, but you know, not every, but if it is something more, this is the thing, like, I don't know that we can have it both ways. We look at these technology adoption curves for like iPhone and, you know, fax machine and telephone networks and all these different things that happen kind of really quickly. And you just, you know, you keep on looking at these charts and they show Bitcoin doing the same thing. And yet on the other hand, we always want to say it's an innovation on the order of like agriculture, organized religion, the printing press, the industrial revolution, you know, computers itself the first Mm -hmm. one by the way was invented in 1830 and we're kind of didn't get facebook until 2004 Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so like our maybe we can't have our cake and eat it too maybe if it's this big it takes a lot fucking longer than most of us are prepared for and are you cool with that are you cool with like there not being another major innovation in bitcoin you know between 20 something amazing happens that kind of levels it up to 5% 5% global adoption mm-hmm. in 2027. And it's just like this awesome layer two thing or, you know, lightning to the nth power or something that's super dope. But then it's like 20 more years before the next cool innovation mm-hmm. because it just takes that long for somebody to put the pieces together or for the supporting things to support that sort of incremental innovation that ties some different things together and starts to roll out. More. Right. Anyway, something to think about. No, that's a, that's a interesting thing to think. What, it's occurring to me here to link this back to your earlier point that crypto scams are effectively attacks on the progress of Bitcoin, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the other, the other way we categorize a lot of these crypto scams or shit coins is that they're gambling devices. The urge to gamble goes up as you debase the currency, right? People are getting forced mm-hmm. further out along the risk curve. So could it actually, could inflation that's also fueling the growth of Bitcoin, but also fuel the growth of this tax on it that puts a drag on Bitcoin, causes it to take a lot longer than we might expect. Um, well, we have one We have one data point from 2020, 2021, and I think that was a really outsized uh, shitcoin bubble mm-hmm. for where it, where it should have been. I mean, these weren't, these weren't real innovations, right? We can see that most of it was actually just a leverage arbitrage. Mm-hmm. that this money that was flowing in was institutional investors seeking yield and then pumping it into these CFI platforms, the ones that have been collapsing and shutting down and going bankrupt or getting picked up for pennies on the dollar. And then out the back end, it doesn't matter if the borrower on the other end of Celsius, BlockFi, Nexo, whatever, it doesn't matter what they borrow they can use that money for anything. Mm-hmm. And so really what the arbitrage is here, and I didn't even tweet this yet, and I don't, nobody's written about this. I was literally just thinking about it <laughs> in the shower before jumping on. But essentially what this was is just regulatory arbitrage. You cannot, without massive amounts of, of regulation and compliance and anything, you can't gather retail deposits, bundle it up as a middleman and lend it out to institutions. Even Sam Bankman fried the founder of FTX and Alameda, tweeted out last week, uh, you know, insto to insto, meaning institutional, institutional is like, is fine. Retail to institutional is kind of an ethical no-no. And it's because of the information asymmetry, something we talked about last time Mm -hmm. you and I talked. 
the informational asymmetry inherent in financial contracts means that over the last 700 years, we humans have naturally evolved our markets into having regulation so that there's punishment and so that there are repercussions and so that there are guidelines when there is information asymmetry in a financial contract, which is substantially always or almost always. And so all that really happened here with these massive fundraisings and massive valuations of the CFI lending business model was just that they weren't regulated and that people could get cheap leverage traders and institutional shops could get cheap leverage from those platforms hmm. specifically because crypto was unregulated and they can go and gamble that on the queues they can gamble it on the yen they can gamble it on vc hmm. they can gamble it on anything the point is it was mispriced risk and it was only there because it was just out the reach of outside the reach of regulation hmm. wow. and now it's collapsed and now it will be regulated or you can go and say hey Citadel should be able to advertise a 5% interest rate and no longer take LPs and everyone, all the retail people globally should be able to just like give their money to Citadel for a 5% coupon. Hmm. Right. But there's a reason that's illegal mm -hmm. because we individuals can't evaluate the risk inherent in the book that Citadel is keeping. Hmm. That's why it's illegal. Right. That's interesting. Wow. Um, it's a good, interesting way to look at it just through the lens and that the asymmetry point comes up later in our conversation today in the point of toxicity, I think to some extent, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, so, okay. I think it would be useful here as we're building up towards that conversation on toxicity is to define shit coins. This is another one of those terms that I guess for outsiders, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. Well, I want to talk about it. It seems like in one sense, you could say shit coins or anything that's not Bitcoin. A lot of Bitcoiners would use this terminology typically, but then there's this other sense that it's sometimes used and that it's any investment that underperforms Bitcoin. So a lot of people will say, you know, why do this 60, 40 portfolio when you could do you know, whatever, 95% cash and 5% Bitcoin and outperform it. Um, and there's some, and I, I tweeted this with you yesterday, shared a tweet from Odell, like calling real estate a shit coin. You know, they've called gold a shit coin. I've called gold a shit coin previously. I'm not sure if it is historically. I don't think it is, but it might be today. Uh, you know, people calling Apple stock a shit coin. Um, what, how do you, define it. it seems like there's a lot of definitions sort of shoved into one term here probably again back to this whole medium is the message on twitter people just call everything yeah. a shit coin and blast it around to get maximal reach if we pull that apart what do we actually get inside of a shit coin i mean i think the the original definition and if there are a dictionary definition of it it would just be non-bitcoin altcoins it would just be cryptos that aren't bitcoin that's yep. a shit coin so I think that's I think that's actually very clear. And then I think you have people making statements to be kind of hyperbolic on the Bitcoin side, uh, you know, essentially like because if you if you tease that out, it's like, well, because, you know, the government can print as much money as they want and they can confiscate mm -hmm. your real estate. So therefore, real estate's a shit coin. But that's kind of like in a uh, it's a statement designed to make you think and tease it apart and understand why they're saying it or whatever. 
and obviously stocks have cash flows unlike all the shit coins so it's like mm. you know you can decide whether that's a good investment over whatever time frame or not um but you know a, a shit coin is a shit coin and then what you have is the very disingenuous straw manning of crypto people pointing at bitcoiners and saying well they call everything a shit coin you know or saying things like you know the usual defense of of their shit coin is well usd is a shit coin so what now do you own any dollars like why don't you own ethereum like you own mm -hmm. dollars dollars is the worst shit coin it's mm -hmm. the biggest shit coin you know and it's really just kind of disingenuous again these high school debate tactics that you usually see from you know people like udi and unfortunately now nick quite often nick carter um, kind of using the same tactics, trying to like score points or whatever. It's kind of weird. So bright line definition of a shit coin is any non Bitcoin crypto asset. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Real estate then is not a shit coin. Not to me. No. But what about fiat currency? No, it's fiat currency is fiat currency. It has its place. Like if you have some, if you have some dollars coming in, you can buy Bitcoin with it. You have flexibility to pay bills, medical expenses, all kinds of shit. I mean, I think it's, it's most families are not in a position to be hundred percent Bitcoin. It's just too much complication and you got to get your spouse up to speed and like the whole deal. I think it's awesome. Like this, this tribe of like mostly dudes, but especially kind of like young people or people with more time on their hands to go hundred percent Bitcoin and like push the envelope and really mm -hmm. try to live 100% on Bitcoin, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's early and it takes a lot of effort to do that right, especially if you're trying to do it with like a, a good level of privacy and not get screwed on taxes and all those kinds of things. So yeah, I think it's important that people are experimenting with that, but it's probably early for mass adoption. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, so let's focus on let's say the US dollar, for instance, then if then the US dollar is put on crypto rails, or it's wrapped up into this digital dollar or CBDC format, mm -hmm. does it then become a shitcoin per your definition? No, I think those are just those are just digital dollars, just the same thing as like in your bank, but with with different risk profiles, depending on who the custodian is and what they're invested in. Right, right. So I think but then if oh, sorry, go I ahead. think Ted, I think, you know, I think Tether and USDC, you know, are probably securities by the definition of securities mm -hmm. and Binance USD or whatever, because there, there is some risk there. You're investing in some treasuries and some bonds and, you know, maybe some VC investments or whatever. And these things have different durations, but, you know, it is possible that there can be a bank run and it's not FDIC insured. So I think if it's not a bank deposit by the strict definition of bank deposits in the U.S., it's not FDC, FDIC insured, then it's probably a security. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's not, I, I consider it just digital dollars though. Like it's, I, I often tweet about like, you know, there's like three or $4 coins in the top 10. And if I talk about the, you know, non-stable non coin dominance, something like that, I think Bitcoin's at like 60% if you take out the stable coins. Because mm. if the crypto market falls, but there aren't a bunch of stable coin redemptions, then by definition, the non-Bitcoin altcoin market cap that includes stable coins starts to rise. Right. So uh, th did you include Tether as a shitcoin then? Because it is technically on crypto rails, even though it's- Oh, I don't care about what rails it is. It's just a digital dollar. It doesn't matter. Just a digital dollar. So you would not call Tether a shitcoin then? 
I don't think Binance USD or Gemini USD or USDC is a shit coin. They're just dollars on the blockchain. All of the algorithmic stable coins are shit coins. So this is not possible. Know, yeah. Terra USD. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's the other one? Die shit coin. Yeah, I find it this this particular point is complicated to me because if you evaluate, for instance, the US dollar on its network fundamentals, it is the worst shit coin you could ever imagine, right? It's like one node, you don't know the rules, you don't know how many dollars there are, how many there will ever be, who owns it, you just don't know anything about it. Um, but I guess by this definition of shitcoin is a non-Bitcoin crypto, it comes down to whether something is a crypto asset versus just an asset or something that it, i just keep it simple man if it's on coin market cap and it's not bitcoin it's a shit coin it's easy <laughs> it's so easy, easy. enough but i, I just this is I'm where not trying I, to get into real estate and apple stock <laughs> yeah well i yeah when i see some of those tweets flying around i want to kind of smack myself in the head because that doesn't make any sense at all but i also feel a bit ambiguous in that I do hold dollars. I testify about all the evils of the dollar of fiat currency, yet here I am. I'm in this game too. I'm kind of forced to play this game and hold dollars when it makes sense for me, spend dollars when it makes sense for me, yet it's the ultimate shitcoin. So um, it just seems like on this particular point, the the bright lines get a little grayed out. Yeah. Yeah, I spoke with, uh, I think it was a Barron's reporter, a couple, like it was probably Thursday or Friday. And uh, they were very clear that they weren't allowed to own any Bitcoin. And I said, wait, do you, do you report on like Wall Street and finance? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, they let you hold dollars? Like you're allowed to actually like hold dollars while reporting on dollars? Ooh. <laughs> anyway, we had a nice little laugh. It's, it's strange, isn't it? Um, okay, so... Well, then I guess I was going to ask you all these, like, is gold a shitcoin, is silver a shitcoin, commodities, equities, corporate bonds, government bonds, index funds. But I think you already answered skip. that. Yeah. They're all assets. Just They're orthogonal to crypto assets. It's just a different category. I, I just personally define shitcoins as being non-Bitcoin cryptos. That's it. Got it. Um. Okay, so I have this thought about Bitcoin. So we know that, we said this earlier, cash is a trust-minimized asset. Everything that's not cash is not. That's kind of the purpose of cash, right? You want to go take risk in the marketplace and then put it in something that's a good store value or is trust-minimized. You know, we say this, cash is king. We say this all the time. Clearly, Bitcoin per our belief, is the ideal form of cash, the ultimate form of cash, whatever you want to call it. So which makes it kind of the king asset. But the Bitcoin network itself is interesting in that it is leaderless, right? That's one of the main properties of, of a decentralized network, right? There are no leaders. There are no key, key men, right? There's not like somebody that can fall off a roof and then Bitcoin's going to collapse. It just, it's designed to suffer no kings, if you will. Is it possible that the king of Bitcoin is the mantra, Bitcoin only, no shit coins? Like, is that connected to this, this fervency that Bitcoiners have against shit coiners? It's like you're, 
you're breaking the golden rule of Bitcoin, I guess. It's like Bitcoin don't shit coin. No, because I think there's plenty of evidence that for the lion's share of people getting into altcoins is a bad economic choice. Mm-hmm. So I feel very comfortable saying what I've always said, which is if you are prepared to give a lot of your time to crypto trading and you plan to be you know, one of the better traders out there in the top 2%, maybe top 4%, where you actually rip the faces off of everybody else in the casino, like, and that's something that you want to do with your time and you're going to be good at it. Great. But it's going to take a lot of time Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's going to be your job. So if that, if that's really what you want to do, great. If it's not your calling to be a shitcoin trader and you don't love it and you're not amazing at it, then you're better off doing basically anything else and just putting your, your savings into Bitcoin or some part of your savings into Bitcoin. Like it's better for you economically to do that. So I still think Bitcoin wins the economic case. I don't think you need the moral case. And I don't like resting on a moral case anyway. I think, you know, it's, it's fine to make it if you believe it, but it's also not necessary. There's a very strong economic case here. It's been like 20,000 altcoins, only three ever have had an all-time high in Bitcoin terms three or more years after their first all-time high, right? So they all trend down towards zero in Bitcoin terms. If you divide the price of altcoins all-time high, you know, in 2017, and then take a look again in 2021, it's going to be lower in basically every case. There's been Ripple had like a a tiny pump in 13 and then went way up in 2017 because they were super noisy and they were all those fake announcements and they were selling tons and tons of the, you know, giving, giving the corporate treasury to, you know, MoneyGram or whoever else for free and, mm-hmm. you know, painting the tape with market makers, blah, blah, blah. They had a big, so there was one. Second one was uh, Dogecoin, which never really had much of a pump previously. And then Elon pumped the hell out of it in 2021. And then the one was uh, BNB, which basically hinged the success of, of Binance and it, uh, it was higher in Bitcoin terms in 2021 than its peak in January of 2018. Outside of those three, no other crypto has ever had a second all-time high in Bitcoin terms. Hmm. So unless you are good at selecting these, which usually requires insider access, uh, usually requires getting it you know, for pennies on the dollar and then being there to dump on the exchange or dump on Coinbase later as an insider. That's where the alpha is in the crypto space is being an insider. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just trading it or think that you're investing for buy and hold in these moon bags, mm-hmm. like the data says you're screwed and mm-hmm. you're much better off just you know buying Bitcoin and holding. Mm. Yeah, very, very strong economic case. Um, but I'm not sure that that, comports well with what you see i mean maybe we're just back to this whole twitter thing where on twitter you see bitcoin maxis making very strong moral cases against thinking about talking about you know all the things any touching a shitcoin in any way affiliating yourself with shitcoin in any any way (laughs) so is that the moral case is just an emergent twitter phenomenon from this really strong economic case or are we back to the, the medium as the mm. message on Twitter? How, how does it get from one to the other? No, so I, I make a, I make a, I think a very well-founded, strong moral case against the casino operators and the shitcoin promoters. 
So the shitcoin mm -hmm. founders, the shitcoin VCs, and the casino operators, uh, the Binance's and the Coinbase's of the world. I think that they are, you know, delaying the onset of a period of incredible human freedom and progress and everything that we sort of foresee happening as the world goes through Bitcoinization. I think mm -hmm. that we'll be much better off as a, as a species under a single non-state monetary standard. And, you know, as Andreas Antonopoulos said seven or eight years ago, you know, if you can, with Bitcoinization, stave off one incident of, of hyperinflation anywhere in the world, then you have a moral duty to try to make it happen as soon as possible. Right. So that's, that's what I'm working on. I'd like adoption to happen faster, even if it means that I own fewer sats. Like I just, I just feel compelled to try to make it happen as fast as possible. Um, and I think we'll probably be fine. <laughs> even, right, if it, right. even if I don't have as many, sat, you know, cheaply stacked sats as I possibly could have by delaying yeah. it, I'd rather have it happen with more certainty and sooner and enjoy more of that sort of Bitcoinized future. So I reserve the moral judgment for the people that are actively promoting shitcoins. Mm -hmm. I don't go after any, you know, crypto traders or individual crypto investors on moral grounds ever. Personally, I always mm -hmm. make an economic argument for them. They're going to have to learn it on their own pace. Uh, I go on crypto shows and talk as a friend to the hosts and to mm -hmm. their guests. And I'm respectful and I explain, you know, the stats and what I see as the economic argument for most of them. I'll even go on. I'll say like, listen, you know, Windio or Altcoin Daily or wherever I'm talking, like mm -hmm. some of your audience are probably really good at trading crypto. Like there, there are some people that that's what they do and they do it professionally and they're in a million telegram groups and discords and they subscribe to some social service that sees some tiny little popcorn altcoin, you know, gaining steam on some social network somewhere and like mm -hmm. catch, catch a flyer, like God bless, man. And if that's really what you want to do with your day and you don't have any, like, I'm not here to judge your morals. If you think that that's like a fine use of money and capital, like I, I don't have any problem with people going to the MGM grand either. Mm -hmm. And it's and trading crypto is legal today. So the, what standing would I have to bash you for that? I personally wouldn't do it. And I would try to convince all my friends and family not to do it. And, you know, but I think it's easy to make the economic case for that. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather just keep it there when it comes to people actually investing and trading in the crypto market is just make the economic case. Yeah, economic case clearly stronger with most people i think that are hopefully investing money um if it's not they're probably not investing wisely yeah Fiat. i have to check myself though i just i did just realize that that's also very selfish for me so being hyper rational and probably intellectually like justify almost anything mm -hmm. that i do a lot of our customers at swan obviously come from people that recognize the economic case for switching from crypto trading to just buying and holding Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't serve me at all to be mean to those people. Right. right so I right, guess right. there is, there is that they're kind of like down the funnel, you know, they discovered it through pomp or something and got confused into trading cryptos. Right. And, <laughs> you know, eventually they discover, they discover Bitcoin and, and realize, Oh, there's, actual platforms that aren't promoted by shitcoin showing Bitcoin influencers that are, that can't afford those podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. So yeah, your business, like almost like full disclosure, Swan's business is catering largely to those people 
because well what do they what do they call this the bitcoin horseshoe you get into bitcoin you go into shit coins you come it's back it's the shit coin horseshoe yeah yeah the shit bitcoin, coin horseshoe. go through the horseshoe and then and then bitcoin out the other side yeah yeah i don't know what it is i mean i i think our business is mostly built on people coming from a standing start mm-hmm. but i think maybe that's Maybe that's a bull market thing is you get people from a standing start and they go straight to Bitcoin. It's easier mm-hmm. to grab them then. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like in a bear market, it feels like the last six months, a lot of our customers are, are giving up crypto and coming over to Bitcoin. Right. And so it's been nice to just be, you know, with, with open arms and be kind and just make the economic case. And, you know, and it's never been my style to attack like individual people who don't know any better. Yeah. You know, I think it was, I keep on crediting Nick Sabo for this, but I can't find it on the internet. So I feel like I heard it in a podcast, but it was basically like, it's only really worth attacking influential ignorance. Like don't spend your time mm. on, on other stuff. Mm. So when I see like, you know, Balaji talking out of his ass with a bunch of word salad again, it's like, well, that's influential ignorance. I want to go ahead and, you know, attack that. Mm. Uh, but if it's, if it's some random person that's, you know, on Twitter talking about their, you know, Dogecoin moon bags or some Shiba Inu or whatever, you know, that's not somebody that you would attack and call them a jerk or immoral or something. Mm -hmm. You would just, you know, try to be nice to them and help them. When you, okay. I like to double click on that term influential ignorance. What does that mean exactly? Because I would assume a guy like Balaji doesn't think he's ignorant when he's saying these things. Oh, it, it doesn't matter what he thinks. It matters what I think. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it's a free market of ideas. So Zabo is only going to waste his time. He's only going to spend his time if he spots something that he thinks is wrong, that he thinks is ig- not ignorance like you're an idiot, but ignorant of the truth or ignorant of the facts that-, that Ignoring facts. Head. Yeah. Exactly. So right. and if that person happens to be influential, then that's actually worth engaging with. Hmm. but there's not any point in going and dunking on people that don't have any influence. Right. Because there are people um, following the words of the influential person Mm -hmm. that you think is divergent from the facts of the matter. Exactly. Yeah. So like when I, you know, when I first was made aware of Celsius putting $500 billion of user funds into anchor an obvious Ponzi scheme, and then, a day or two later, Mashinsky came out with a, this is Alex Mashinsky, the CEO, maybe not still the CEO by the time this episode airs, but anyway, mm-hmm. as of July 5th, still the CEO of Celsius, uh, you know, came out with this whole video about how BTC maxis want you to lose your coins and 30% of Bitcoin custody, 30% of Bitcoins have been lost because of the advice of Bitcoin maxis. And so you should be instead giving your coins to Alex at Celsius because he'll take care of them for you long video it's and it's, it's right. on my twitter go check it out um that's anyway, slimy. absolutely blows my mind so like that's that's influential ignorance that deserves to get attacked that's actually worth my time to go attack i'm not shitcoin pi you can stop mm-hmm. dming me about some scam that i don't care about i really for me the only thing that matters is if it's influential in bitcoin circles so if i see you know BTC archive tweeting all about Doquan or Pomp having Doquan on his show. And I'm like, that's a fucking shit coin. What's going on? Do a little research, find out it's an actual Ponzi scheme. Then I'm going to go hard at that because that's influential ignorance around Bitcoin, which is something I care about and something that I work in, right? And in Celsius, same thing, influential ignorance, falsities in an area that I care about where I can actually do something about it. I'm going to go get that, right. but I don't care about 
all there's other people to handle frauds in every other place. I'll be there if it's Bitcoin related, like S2F fake models from plan B, like if some charlatan is out there, like messing with people's mental models with fake math, like, yeah, I'll be there. But, but otherwise I just don't care. I'm building a business. Not all heroes wear capes, as they say. <laughs> Not all people that some people tweet are heroes are heroes at all, man. I'm just trying to get through a day, you know, <laughs> trying to, trying to build Swan up. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. So let me ask you this then. We, all right. We touched on the moral case a little bit. It seems to me, and I, I hear you, the economic case is stronger, but there is a big moral case to be made related to Bitcoin. I think specifically as an answer to central banking and fiat currency. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to me like fiat itself is immoral because it's used to violate property, to steal from people, all of these things. But this whole shitcoin world is not, I mean, maybe it's still immoral. I'm not sure, but it, it's not stealing from people per se. It's deceiving people into giving up their keys to then be rug pulled basically. Right. So it's, it's more like deception first, which I guess you could say. Yeah, it's, fr it's, it's fraud or deception. It's a different thing. I think, yeah. yeah tech like inflation is theft and shit coins are fraud. They're different things. They're both crimes. Right. So they're both, I mean, I guess the common thread between these two is like obfuscation of the truth, right? Yeah. Like in the dollar and God, we trust, like it's got all these nice memes on it to make you think it's, you know, good um, pictures of uh, notable dead presidents and all these other things that make it look really official and tamper proof and resistant to counterfeiting while the Fed counterfeits six trillion of it, you know, over the past 24 months. And then shitcoins are kind of doing the same thing, only more of like the innovation theater angle. They're trying to solve all these high tech problems and fix this about Bitcoin or fix that about Bitcoin. But in reality, they're just trying to get your Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fraud and misleading marketing out there. I don't think we have to like compare them to each other other than the fact that they're all wrong. I mean, mm. you know, using cheap building materials and lying about the quality of the building that you're selling, that sucks because you're going to get stuck with like all the stuff that was built in like 04, 05, 06, it's all falling apart now all over the country Yeah, because it was thrown up in like two weeks, right? Right. Like you just don't want a house built built after 2003 until about 2010, 2011 um, in most places around the country anyway, um, all the hot markets. And then, you know, I guess if there's like accounting scandals at some public company, you know, that's another kind of fraud. But I think all these things, whether it's dollar or shit coins or shitty building or whatever, it's just like they're all wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So... I guess to try and summarize some of what we just talked about, to the extent that crypto is used to separate people from their Bitcoin, crypto is effectively a tax and therefore a delay on the success of Bitcoin. Something like that. So yeah, that's, that's part of it. I think it's also just all of the time and money being put into the, you know, as SAFE recently started calling it the crypto industrial complex, but it's all this kind of innovation theater and the 40 billion of crypto VC money going into all these sort of, you know, Rube Goldberg machines, you know, money comes in, doesn't come out unless more money comes in. 
right. basically. <laughs> so it's all sort of self-referential leverage upon leverage and it's just a big casino. Um, I think that's kind of, that's where the delay comes from. Right. It's so that, again, getting back to the opportunity cost thing. Like these are, these are all opportunity costs. This is flows that could go into Bitcoin and you can make the argument that, well, shouldn't you be concerned about money going into any other asset other than Bitcoin? And that on one level is kind of true, but it's way more salient when all of the crypto stuff is marketing against Bitcoin or doing Bitcoin affinity marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to grab the shine from the actual innovation that is Bitcoin. And these are people that otherwise really would be interested in Bitcoin. It's not just, you know, a real estate investor that, you know, was going down the rabbit hole in Bitcoin and like ended up buying a multifamily home right. and renting out the units. That's not what's happening, right? This is people that are like, would be going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole that are, you know, attracted by Raul Powell and Real Vision or something like that, and then just diverted over into shitcoin land very right. deliberately by carnival hucksters. Right, right, hucksters. That's a safety term I like. Um, so it's like siren song almost, right? This, you get into Bitcoin, you get distracted by the shiny objects, you get pulled into this crypto industrial complex, which in many ways mirrors the problem with the world, right? The you know, that's in reference to the military industrial complex, which is really the fiat military industrial complex. So we kind of recreated the same set of problems in a different domain. And therefore, now, now I'm getting into speculative speak here. Therefore, toxicity is a mechanism for attacking the asymmetries inherent to those crypto contracts, those crypto financial contracts, if we want to call them that, which are today outside the purview of regulation. So is toxicity kind of filling the void where regulation can't reach in this respect? Yeah, it's self-regulation, essentially. Mm. Yeah, it's just a marketplace of ideas. It's the best tools that we have today, right? I mean, the best tools that crypto VCs have today is to call Bitcoiners toxic and say that they're mean and dogmatic. Mm. And the best tools that, you know, in, in shorthand for an audience that Bitcoiners have to say is, well, all those cryptos are scams. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Only one of them is right, though. Who's that? What's that? <laughs> I said only one side is actually right. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's because, you know, at the end of the day, Bitcoiners do have truth on their side when it comes to Bitcoin. Yes. And um, a lot of power with that. And on that point, perhaps toxicity is how that truth is being expressed in a way, right? It's in some may- cases, it can also be just like very eloquently described by by someone that's couldn't be accused of being toxic at all in any way right it's just how some people are more comfortable yes expressing it so the sharpness of the elbows has to do with the nature of the medium largely twitter and also the um the messenger and the medium both yeah messenger and the medium of the two yeah I i would add here too we mentioned this earlier though that just the recurrent arguments against bitcoin you start to just kind of like you know, automate your responses in a way that can come off perhaps a little bit harshly. Um, but ultimately, and this is this is the way I conceived of Bitcoin toxicity originally, that it was some kind of like tough love, really. Mm-hmm. It's like people are doing something stupid and you'd be like, hey, that's fucking stupid. Like if you saw your friend putting his money in some shitcoin casino or any bad investment, if you're a good yep. friend, you'd probably be like, hey, man, that's fucking stupid. That's stupid. Don't do that. Yep. Wake up. 
kind of like what it seems to me Bitcoin toxicity is doing for people, although people mm-hmm. don't necessarily realize the value of that because they don't understand Bitcoin, perhaps, and crypto more yeah. generally to the depth that we all do. I mean, there's, I just think about my, my DMs from the last couple of months and like the mode, the one that shows up the most often boils down to, gosh, I really thought you were mean two months ago, but man, thank you. Cause at least, at least, at least the meanness and the directness of my posts about Doquan and and Luna mm-hmm. and then Mashinsky and Celsius were enough to break through the clutter and right. make them go a click deeper. And that's all it really took, which is exactly what, I mean, maybe I like the formula because it's what worked for me. So I probably just have that one data point of like Jimmy Song's directness mm-hmm. at, you know, at BlockCon the year before 2017, mm-hmm. at least breaking through the clutter enough to get me to go a click deeper and discover that in the morass of crypto media, there were a few Bitcoiners putting out real information about Bitcoiner. And then you, they talk about each other and then you can find more. And then all of a sudden that's what you consume. And that's what did it for me. Right. Mm. It still took a while. It took me another, you know, five months to, to get all the way there, but, but I did get there. And I think that's what you're seeing now is like, there are a lot of Bitcoiners that are pulling no punches and they're telling the truth. And it seems mean because I'm telling you something very, very hard to hear, which is that you have done something very dumb with your family's money. Mm-hmm. You've given mm-hmm. it to Alex Mashensky. Mm-hmm. That was stupid. It's hard to hear. Right. I, it's brutal to hear that you've done something dumb with your money. Right. You know, like yep. it's, it's so hard. I, when I lose money in an investment, even if it's startups, like just the pain of like, having chosen that one. And then I'm like, God, like, what did I get wrong in that yes, choice? Right. Uh, or let alone, you know, I'm okay with startups. Cause like, it's totally fine to have a low batting average and, and, and still kill it. But you know, when I used to like make stock investments and, you know, stuff like that, like it would just be really, really rough to, yes. to be on the losing end of an investment or a trade or something like that. Um, or just doing stupid things with your money in general. It's just like really hard for the ego to take. We right. all have confirmation bias. We all want to just like backwards justify our decisions. Um, but there's just so much catharsis when you come out the other side of it and you you get through and then you end up, you know, usually really thankful to the person that burst your bubble. Right. So that's, you know, I've got hundreds of these messages. I've been compiling some of them. I've got like 85 of them or something, but I, I've got to go through hundreds more messages, you know, and just kind of like keep them there in his Google spreadsheet, just to remind myself, like, you know, when some Celsian gets pissed, it's like, eh, they're kind of mad at themselves, you know, or they should be mad at Mashensky and crew, you know, but it's, you know, the other thing just, you know, to get this out there, I think it's important to have on the podcast is like, I think you have a moral obligation to call a Ponzi a Ponzi as early as you can see it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that it can't get bigger. Or if you have a business that is clearly poorly run and is sort of gambling with user funds, like mm-hmm. you should let people know as soon as possible before it gets bigger and wrecks people worse and way more people. This is and a so, Taleb wisdom again, right? If you see a fraud and do not say fraud, you are a fraud. Yeah, that's one way to boil it down. And I think that's probably true. I think taking that one again, I think, uh, 
I think you can't be the white knight all the time, which is why I restrict to things that are directly in my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go out and just call everything that I think is a fraud, a fraud, Mm -hmm. because I just don't have time to make reasoned arguments about it and like do media tours behind it and write well-reasoned tweet threads with evidence on everything Mm -hmm. that I think is a fraud. So if you think seed oils are fraud and that's your thing, then like, by all means, I just don't have time for it, (laughs) you know? Um, but yeah, in your, in your area of expertise where you have some influence and you see Mm -hmm. that influential ignorance, I do think you have a duty to step up and say something. And I think if anything, that's what we've seen over the last couple of years is like, you know, I think there were a lot of people that had like 5,000 followers and maybe like a a minor podcast that would speak the truth, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there was safe who's right sometimes and wrong sometimes, but yes, like he's going to put his opinion out there and Pierre and a few others. But, you know, I think we're, I think we're past the point where it's acceptable to make a lot of money in the Bitcoin space and not accept any of the duty to participate in the policing and sort of, you know, self-regulation or just like the, the free market of opinions. Like, I think you mm-hmm. have to have, you have to form an opinion if something is directly affecting Bitcoin and you are monetizing your influence in Bitcoin. Mm. You know, that's, I think that's what we've learned. And this goes for, you know, this was kind of the, the lesson of all the people complicit in pushing Doquan and Luna out there you know, whether it's Udi or Pomp or BTC Archive or any of these people that were just kind of like, you know, going along with the rah-rah bus and not looking critically at it and dismissing, you know, people like me and Len Alden and others that were pointing out that there was an actual Ponzi scheme growing right in front Mm. of your faces and it was going to wreck Bitcoiners too. Um, I just don't think that you can afford to be complicit in these things going forward. I hope that the, I hope that the, whole bitcoin space remembers this yeah well hopefully large pain so hopefully uh somewhat indelible but the last point you made there those that were supportive of the luna um project i guess ponzi whatever you want to call it some of them were at least i guess convinced that it was a net benefit for bitcoin this is creating more reservation demand for Bitcoin. So this was, it seemed to be one of those areas where even well-intentioned Bitcoiners were deceived. I don't think they were actually convinced. I think that they were, uh, they know that bullish tweets get followers and more sponsor money. So I think it was greed. Mm. And I think that's where they deserve to be bit in the ass is because I think that people have a duty to actually go a click deeper before they promote things that's really what it comes down to. I'd love to see a lot more sort of uh, almost like journalistic integrity among the people that are kind of spreading the information. That is like, that is the job of, of the media. And if this is our media, then, you know, learn a little bit about how to delineate between when a fact is a fact and when is something like, if you say breaking, and then there's a sentence after it that you're stating as fact, and you don't caveat it with like, I heard this from another tweet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just kind of ruining your own credibility and you're just kind of a joke. Um, right. You know, so 
I don't know. I, I just, it's a marketplace of ideas and people can do whatever the hell they want. But I am glad that uh, Bitcoiners have started to be able to distinguish between people that are purely just engagement farming mm -hmm. or shilling altcoins by pretending to be Bitcoiners or actually trying to find out the truth about things and tell people the truth. I think mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. it's been very good for being able to distinguish between the different voices in the Bitcoin and Bitcoin adjacent media, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear that too, because I guess in retrospect, you start to see toxicity as more useful, but on the front end in advance of these, you know, like Luna collapse and Celsius collapse, all these other things, it seems like it can be counterproductive at times because again, outsiders will view toxicity well, in summer, sometimes in as summer dogmatic. 2020, in summer 2020, when I started attacking Raul Pal. Literally the second the email came out that said they were going to, you know, launch RV crypto and start working with crypto companies on creating content. And it was clear that that was going to be the, where the business relationship came from. Mm -hmm. They were going to do crypto conferences and they were going to take payola for interviews. Like you could literally write down, okay, it's a free platform. So you're not charging people for it, but I could literally write down the 18 ways you can monetize that. And that's mm -hmm. clearly what he was planning to do. Now he has a shitcoin fund and like an NFT web three branding advisory firm and all this other crap. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was just pointing out in June or whatever of 2020, Raul's going to start shitcoining like crazy from here on out. If you haven't already discounted him for promoting S2F models, at least stop promoting him and stop having on your shows from now on, hmm. you know, and my God, what a shit show, like a total embarrassment, hmm. you know? So yeah, you can, you can spot these things pretty early. It's literally as soon as they start to stray, like it's only going to get worse 99% of the time. That makes sense. I, I, again, just speaking from the outsider perspective, when people see us being us, anyone being toxic about Bitcoin, they can interpret that as dogmatic cult-like behavior, which can at least be a turnoff in the beginning, right? If people see that mm -hmm. taking place. But as you're pointing out here, all these, all this engagement you've had in your DMs, it sounds like largely, it also encourages people to go a click deeper and hopefully get closer yeah. to truth and save their ass from some of these collapses. Well, there, there's, there's more in public on public threads. I'm not saying the activities in my DMs. I'm just saying that's like the most frequent type of DM that I've gotten over the last gotcha. few months. But okay. yeah, no, there's, there's way more volume in public on Twitter threads. Got it. Individual engagement, I would say, than not, not necessarily yeah. just DM. Now I'd like to tell you about a great new Bitcoin show on the scene that you've got to check out. Brought to you by Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine, this show is Hard Money with Natalie Brunel. Natalie is an Emmy-nominated journalist bringing unparalleled experience to the Bitcoin media scene. And personally, Natalie is one of my favorite voices in the Bitcoin space. Each week on Hard Money, you'll get the top headlines of the week with analysis you won't find anywhere else. Hard-hitting interviews with amazing guests like myself and other top minds in the Bitcoin space. And the show will take you directly into the lives being changed by Bitcoin all over the world. Check out Hard Money at swan.com backslash hard money. Today, I want to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. So how does health insurance work? You send an egregious amount of money to an insurance company. They hold it in a pool of depreciating fiat currency. Then when you have a large health event, you have to pay them even more via your deductible, and then you hope they will cover your bill. 
And in fact, one in six bills are denied by healthcare.gov plans. It's time to take control of your own healthcare bills. I'd like to introduce you to CrowdHealth. It's a decentralization of healthcare using Bitcoin as an alternative to health insurance. Instead of sending fiat currency to a big corporation, you send that money to an account controlled by you, a portion of which is converted into Bitcoin. Then if you have a big health event, you have a community of Bitcoiners that will use the money in their accounts to help you out. To get more details, go to joincrowdhealth.com backslash breedlove, where you can find the promo code for $99 a month for six months. The point you made earlier too is well taken that when you put your money somewhere and you lose it, obviously that's not what you intended to happen. That really hurts because it's on you. Ultimately, you have to like reevaluate yourself, right? Where did I go wrong? You know, everything you thought you had figured out sort of collapses and you have to go back to some stronger foundation and, you know, figure yourself out again. So, okay. All of that really good, good conversation. Can we talk it's about- It's not a- just money though. It's also ideas, right? Like if you're invested in an idea, especially if you've gotten behind it, you've essentially invested in an idea or promoted an idea. And then your name is tied to that idea. It's really hard to divorce yourself from that as well. Oh yeah. Because you, can- you, have, you have that sunk cost and you, re- you feel like your reputation is tied into this thing. And like, it's really hard to back away from that or like say, you're sorry, I got that one wrong. Like nobody, right, nobody right, really right. ever willingly yeah. does that. Right. Right. Okay. So you're saying like the guys that are whatever, uh, who's the guy unbanked podcast guy with the big Ethereum. I think his name's Ryan. He would never okay. back off and be like, Hey guys, I got Ethereum wrong because that's like the past three years of his career. Right. Yeah. Not going to happen. He'll have to come around to some, he'll, he'll have to wait for something that he identifies as new information uh, so that he can make the flip. This is what I was talking about with Taleb. It has something, something new has to come along right. where he can justify to himself that he used to be right. And now things are different. And therefore I can get back. And he's still right. The only way for these Ethereans to escape, they should all try to escape. Like if you're, if you're into Ethereum, I'll look right into the camera. If you're into <laughs> Ethereum and you've known for quite some time that everything around you is complete dog shit and that it's fucking broken and it's not going to work. Uh, this is your opportunity. You should say, listen, I was actually always a proof of work maximalist. And you know what, now that Ethereum's moving up for proof of work, like I know proof of scale is just, or proof of, uh, proof of stake is just like remaking the fiat system. I'm just not down for it. You know, I'm gonna try to build some dope shit on Bitcoin. Hit me up. I'm a partner in Bitcoin Ventures, partner in Elzonte Capital, advisor to the Bitcoin Venture Fund. I know all the crypto VCs. 1031 has like 50 to 70 mil. Uh, Jeff Booth's fund already collected 50, probably going to go north of that. Like there's plenty of money for startups in Bitcoin now. This is your opportunity. You don't have to walk back anything that you ever said before. You were a super fan of Ethereum. You thought it was going to work. Now you realize that it's not going to work. Perfect time to just wash your hands, maintain your integrity, not walk back anything you said before. This is your chance to get out of that flaming shithouse. You heard it here first, folks. This is your chance. Yes. Uh, the Our mutual producer, Jacob, please cut that one for me and put it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> the pathway to redemption. Okay. All of that considered, before we jump into 
toxicity in depth. I want to talk about Nick Carter. Yeah. Just because it's relevant. It's recent. Um, I want to say up front, <clears throat> I'm a huge Nick Carter fan. I think the work he's done is like, frankly, fucking unparalleled. I mean, he's just one of the best writers and thinkers in Bitcoin ever, in my opinion. I don't know the details of this whole story because I was playing catch up. I was traveling and I kind of looked back at it. So maybe you can walk us through it. My understanding is his fund made an equity investment in something that is a crypto project and that he called a bunch of shit on Twitter and the rest, uh, it just spiraled from there. Um, are you comfortable walking us through the sequence of events? Do you know everything? You know, I don't want to spend a bunch of time talking about other people on your show in particular, which I feel mm -hmm. like is the one where I want to come and talk about ideas mm -hmm. more. Um, I will just broadly say, let me come at it from a different angle, which is uh, I too enjoy the writing of Nick. Uh, I have been aware of his VC investments for a long time, um, going back years. And I know, you know, the, the type of stuff that they invest in. And I think it was always, always going to be an issue at some point. And if it were going to become an issue, you know, it would be during a bear market with a bunch of crypto crypto stuff blowing up. Mm -hmm. That's, that's when, you know, yet another tweet of which there've probably been 30 over the last three or four years of him just announcing that he invested in another company. Like this is the timing that, that Bitcoiners would actually notice that and sort of take on bridge because you just saw a bunch of crypto stuff blowing up Bitcoin price and people being angry mm -hmm. about that. Right. So if there were ever going to be a time when he'd be sort of, you know, called the task or, you know, held responsible for, for his long known VC activities, this would be the time. Um, so that's why the timing is now. And then the other thing I would say is like, you know, so this was just a, a, a quick chat in a, in a private channel with a, a Bitcoin VC saying like, you know, shouldn't all of this energy being spent, you know, talking to Nick and arguing with Nick, just be spent on Bitcoin adoption or Bitcoin evangelism, right? Mm -hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't we have 10 times more results from, you know, just spending this all on like signing people up for wallets or something like that. And, you know, my retort is officially by the numbers on Hive.one, you know, which algorithmically ranks how influential people are in different communities on Twitter. You know, so if you look up Ethereum, Vitalik's number one. If you look up Bitcoin, Adam Back is number one. Like Nick is like number seven or number eight. He's like one of the top 10 most influential people on the topic of Bitcoin. And so to think that you wouldn't have a discussion about those activities. And then, you know, to think that some of the things that he said about Bitcoiners wouldn't draw a response from said Bitcoiners and that there wouldn't be a tail on that discussion that would last a little while. I think, I think that's just what I would say is like, it's worth, it's worth talking it through in, in private and in public and, and just kind of hashing it out and like getting through it. And Nick's going to be what he's going to be. Um, you know, I don't, I think you can, again, you can separate the art from the artist. Mark Andreessen has written eloquently on Bitcoin before. Mm -hmm. 
you know, Naval has said very smart things about Bitcoin. He's like Mr. Web3, you mm -hmm. know, founder of, you know, backer of CoinList or whatever. Like there, there's plenty of people that have said great things. Daniel Krawix, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, mm -hmm. but, you know, he was like Pierre and Bitstein's homeboy and he's like a BSV shell at this point, but he's written some of the best stuff about Bitcoin way back mm -hmm. in the day when they're at University of Texas, right? So like there is precedent for people writing incredible art about mm -hmm. Bitcoin and and not agreeing with a lot of <clears throat> Bitcoiners about what Bitcoin is and what shitcoins are. Um, I disagree with a lot of things that, you know, Nick believes about shitcoins and the shitcoin industry and kind of the worthwhileness of of uh, investing in those types of companies. And I think, you know, to each their own and what they choose to invest in, you know, I think the, the argument that kind of stood out to me just putting my investor hat on was, you know, well, I can't put enough money to work in Bitcoin startups. So I have to invest in these shitcoin companies. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, why do you need so much AUM then? You know, that seems more like a, a you problem than a Bitcoin problem. Like mm. you've got Jeff Booth and a whole team comfortable raising 50. Why do you need 250? You know, maybe you mm. should supplement your investing activities with doing something else. You're a good writer. Do some media. Mm. Like there's nothing, there's nothing handcuffing you and telling you or invest in Bitcoin and anything in the wide world of VC and startups other than shit coins. Why do you have to invest in, in mm. shit coin companies? Like, I just mm. think it's a, I don't know. I think they were just like, for someone so smart that's now having the tail of this argument, the logical inconsistencies in his responses to Bitcoiners, and then also just like immediately going on the attack, attack and picking fights with like so many different Bitcoiners over different things and just getting kind of catty about it. It's just like very unseemly and there's just there's so much more information in how he's handled it after the fact than what the supposed transgression was in the first place which again wasn't any different than what he's been doing for years so that's kind of that's my two cents on it i'm still going to be sending a most peaceful revolution to people which is one of my favorite pieces on bitcoin um i've never spoken to nick one-on-one -on -one. unfortunately i should have done it a long long time ago uh i've offered that to him and he's accepted. So we'll get that scheduled sometime soon. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not, if I think of things that I think are relevant or see things that I think are false, that are influential ignorance out there in public, uh, things that he or anybody else has said that I, you know, are near Bitcoin, which is an area that I care about and that I see as influential and ignorant, mm. I'm going to say something about it. But that doesn't mean that the door isn't wide open for us to talk. I was in public arguments with Udi for months before we caught up and had a you know one-on-one, -on -one, man to man, mm -hmm. talked for over an hour just like this on Zoom and kind of just like I wanted to see where he was coming from and this and that. And I came out of that being like, I don't ever have to talk to that guy again. Like that's just not, I, there was no there was there was no deception other than in my own head thinking that I knew. <laughs> who he was and thought he was different than he actually is. That was, that was wrong. I was mm. totally wrong about the guy and I don't, I can just block him and move on with my life. Mm. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like when I actually talk to Nick one-on-one. -on -one. I hope that it's not that. Um, he seems to really care deeply about Bitcoin. You know, I think, uh, I think this may just be like a bit of an emotional period for him, you know, seeing the backlash, which again is largely timing 
yeah. it wouldn't happen in a bear, it wouldn't happen in a bull market like this. Um, so we'll see. I it's it's in flux. I hope that he can back off of the personal attacks and just kind of like walk away for a little while. I think it would serve him a lot to do so. Um, but uh, you know, my door is open for anybody that's been that freaking eloquent and dedicated to the cause of Bitcoin. And if we have some arguments around the margins and don't agree on shit coins or whatever, and still both want to work on Bitcoin, totally fine with that. Yeah. Well, well said there. And I appreciate the point. Not wanting to talk too much about people, but I would say, you know, someone that's been through something similar to what Nick is going through. Um, once it does get personal, like, you know, I, I also been kind of a practicing stoic for many years. So I'm like, Oh, I got this, whatever you can throw at me, you know, blah, blah, blah. But after a while it wears on you, it does get to you emotionally yeah. and your ego flares up other people's egos flare up. And then before you know it, it's not even, it's not a productive conversation or discussion. It's just yeah. attacks and slanders being thrown. Yeah. But I mean, we- I, as an example, like already, Already, there's probably just from looking at Twitter a little bit over the weekend, like there's already five or six things he said that are worse than what he did in the first place. Right. Right. So now he's got to deal with all that. That sucks. Like it'd be way better just to like to practice stoicism somehow and and just not react and not get back and not try to attack people personally or whatever. Well, one of these, and I've shared this before, but when I was going through that, um, Preston Piss shared with me something that um, I think he was at um, at the military school, West Point, maybe I I might be wrong. Sorry, Preston, if I am, he was at a military school. He had a bunch of guys under him and he said, if they went home for the weekend, you know, they, they train all week, they go home on the weekend. If one of his guys gets a DUI or something, they come back on Monday. Preston was fucking responsible for that guy's DUI, even though they were all at home over the weekend. So it's like this idea of just taking, maximal responsibility even if it's not even if the blame doesn't land on you there's something um important to that like to being a good leader to being maybe uh an effective influencer or a Mm non-ignorant influential person to take a lot of responsibility for but that's something i had to learn going through that controversy that was not something that was just readily apparent to me so what did you find you had to take responsibility for that you weren't aware of before the entire situation. Like the brand and the voice. I created, and the, well, I yeah. created the entire situation. It all originates with me and my actions. My To even talk about a thing, I didn't anticipate the, the consequences. And then when people come at me, I dug in my heels. And this whole thing just spirals out of control. Um, I don't know if that's yeah. what Nick's going through, but it seemed somewhat similar. But let me do this then. To not talk about uh, Nick in particular, what if we strip Nick me, out of this? So... so- this is this is a way to get at it because i remember our conversations and you're right there are a lot of parallels and i think one thing this whole idea that so this this ties into plan b as well and it also ties ties into taleb which is interesting Hmm. and how we kicked off the entire conversation which is the idea of option value Mm -hmm. which since i came to you know the writings of taleb in 2002 has been some it's been the way that I've seen life for the last 20 years mm-hmm. is like collect as many cheap and free options as possible. Mm-hmm. And some of them are going to hit and be in the money and then you can collect on them. So you invest in relationships when it's cheap and free 
and you do things all the time for people, for companies, you know, in situations, whatever, to kind of just like collect all these call options. Don't, don't try to collect money up front. Don't sell your, don't sell your option when it's one penny in the money, just hold mm -hmm. on to it, right? This is why I three parties for like 15 years without ever making a dime on it, hmm. you know? Cause I know at some point, you know, a, a crew will be hanging out in Punta del Este and they're going to be talking about how they met. And then I'm going to pop in their mind and they're going to check in on me and they're going to see that I run Swan and they're going to start buying Bitcoin through Swan. Right. Right. Like it yeah. just happens all the time. These things come out of the past of just being kind of creating all these unbounded upside call options. Right. So, you know, I see something like, you know, one of the big arguments around plan B and the S2F models that everybody always came back at me with was, oh, he's just doing it for free. He's, he kept on saying, I just put my models out for free. Like, what do you mean? You guys are being so mean. I'm doing all this work. I'm a saint. You know, I'm like, I, I just did this of the goodness of my heart. was kind of his whole thing. And he said a lot of these things like very charlatan, like mm -hmm. even claiming that openly on Twitter and on podcasts, like, why are you guys being so mean to me? And the thing is he was creating and had created already a very valuable call option in that large following. Mm -hmm. So it rings extremely false. If you say, I'm just doing this for free. I have accrued these 300,000 followers, 600,000 followers, million followers and all this influence. And if I post something on medium, everybody checks it out and shares it. If I, I can get on national TV because of my affinity with Bitcoin and you know, sort of like building up my profile on the backs of, of Bitcoiners supporting my ideas or whatever. Uh, it's false and disingenuous and fraudulent to say that that brings no value to you because you have collected a very valuable call option that you can monetize in the future. And so that was always my point is like, even though plan B isn't monetizing today, he can, and he probably will. And then later, of course, came like the pay newsletter plans, the very hard to get into hedge fund that he advertised on Twitter. And now, of course, you know, the Bybit ref links, shilling a shitcoin exchange, like obviously these things I thought were basically inevitable. Mm -hmm. um, so this idea that you can just like build up a big profile in Bitcoin media and, you know, Bitcoin Twitter or whatever, and don't have any responsibility where everyone watching, whether they can define it or not knows that you've built a lot of value for yourself that value is a call option that's way in the money that you just haven't exercised yet and the community and your interaction with the community is what's given you that value whether you monetize it today or not so the audience growth itself is one of these unbounded call options and the cost or there's a maintenance cost i guess that goes with this optionality that is well it's the point is the point is you have value that you have derived from you know writing and tweeting about bitcoin right if you're a bitcoin influencer you have call option value i know that outside of swan or anything that i'm doing today the fact that i have like 160,000 followers or whatever is monetizable I could stop right now and sell Swan and just start shilling Casa Unchained River Strike, whatever Bitcoin companies I like, ref links and make a bunch of money on it. And I could, you know, start a paid newsletter and start writing, you know, every week and charge $10 a month and get, you know, 5,000 subs or something. And, you know, probably have a really nice life just off of that. 
That's a that's call option value that I have built up by tweeting and writing and talking about Bitcoin. I'm I'm close to Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin affinity marketing, if you will, if I wanted to monetize in those other ways. And I think the the moral obligation that Bitcoiners sniff out is that you have extracted this value from the Bitcoin community and therefore have a duty, whatever, in some way to be true to Bitcoin. And everyone's going to have their own definition of it. And what happens is when people uh, act out of accord with all of these individuals have their own little moral compass and their own moral code and whether they can define it as, you know, the influencer getting a free call option or just it feels weird, however they define it in their head consciously or subconsciously, they know it's fucked up if somebody claims that they don't owe you shit because they gave it to you for free. Mm -hmm. So Nick Carter and you, Rob, and Plan B all owe a shitload to Bitcoin and Bitcoiners. So do I. So <clears throat> what should we do? Like, well, I mean, Bitcoin, Bitcoiners are Bitcoin, right? We are core operating components of this network. Um, that makes sense to me. I would say that from my own just personal experience, five years ago, my audience, my Twitter audience, like 300 people, so five, so I've done like a 1000 X in five years, roughly. It was never by never intentional though. Like there's never a point where you're like, okay, I'm going to go build a Twitter audience now, at least for me. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do that. Did you ever post a thread on Twitter? Oh, I posted some long threads. I know, I know. you had some 62 <laughs> parters, if I recall. I had so 360 I mean, parters. There you go. So, I mean, listen, those, those result in followers and obviously like followers help your business and help you sell ads. So, you know, it is what it yes. is. It doesn't it, matter whether it's conscious or not. No, agreed. But my point is this, that there might be people picking up, even just subconsciously picking up these call options, but not understanding the commensurate responsibility or obligation they have to their mm -hmm. audience or community. And I think this is the land. I mean, I don't want to make this about me at all. I feel like that's a landmine that I tripped on as well. Cause that was another thing Preston Pish said to me is like, 100%, you have dude. to think like a, a brand, ago, you're a brand. A year what ago. Is this? Yeah. I, I'm like that. You were, that has never crossed my mind as an individual. Like what is my brand? Right. What is this going to do to my brand? So the reason, the reason that you and I still talk and, and hung out and had lunch a few weeks back or whatever, even after that happened a year ago is because when you and I talked in the, Maybe not the first week after when you were still in the in the thick of the stoic Rob, obstinate Rob battle between yourself, but like mm -hmm. within a few weeks after we started talking a little bit and and you know, I made my own personal judgment that I thought you were completely telling the truth and that you were struggling with exactly this. Because people on both sides of that equation, the influencer and the Bitcoiner audience, uh, very rarely actually can put a, a point on it and consciously say, oh those influencers have picked up monetizable options. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then, I mean, again, I don't want to make this about me, but I guess I'll just talk about it since we're on topic here. There's also this general, like what you take for granted when you're going through these things, like this is an obvious scam. This is a Ponzi. Did you see this? Did you see that? You say these things. I'm like, I don't even see it because I'm not looking at it necessarily the same way you are. So I'm sure there's many other people that don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, 
to some extent you have a gift or a skill set or experience then shut the fuck up that's not, that's what I would say. Like, because you at least aren't out there like promoting Luna and giving a shitcoiner, you know, airtime on a Bitcoin Spaces or a Bitcoin who, show. Who who like, should shut the fuck up? I don't understand. The people that are promoting the shitcoiner don't have him on if you don't understand it. You have a responsibility to your audience not to. Give oh no this no no no! Free no. Yeah, yeah, okay. That, that's what I'm make... saying. Like, it's you don't have to have an opinion on everything. And this goes for all the people that are just like, you know, just tweeting out breaking blah, 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 blah. It's like, have some integrity, try to put out information that you actually either know is true or have like an actual opinion about. Don't just try to be like in the flow to be out there. Like you'll burn your, it's, 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 uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely not long-term greedy. It's not very smart to burn your rep. Mm-hmm. by putting out bad information and promoting frauds so this is just career advice this is career advice for these people to stop promoting frauds yes and so <laughs> for me the the subtlety i guess the confusion for me was the nature of an affinity scam i didn't even know what an affinity scam was when i went through the whole yeah. thing i just thought someone airdropped me a shit coin token and i would just go and sell it and move on but i didn't whatever my own ignorance my own inability to recognize myself as a brand, my lack of knowledge about the corresponding obligations that came with all this call option value I accrued to my audience growth. That's my own thing, my own journey, my own self-deception, yeah. perhaps back yeah. to the whole point of shit coining being self-deception. If well, you... it was also in the packaging, right? Like you could have tweeted like, listen, here's this shit coin. Don't fucking invest in it. I'm going to dump it. I'm claiming it. Here's the code. But instead you tweeted, you know, I'm a freedom maximalist and let's see what the free market thinks. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that was just immediately it's just ammunition. Yeah. It just lit a fucking tinderbox with that one tweet that was, I knew when I saw it, I was like, ah, oh, Jesus, there goes Rob for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> what a few you months know. it was. So look, I, again, I don't want to talk about me. Let's get back to Nick, but I want to try to strip Nick out of this because I think there's a bigger yeah. point, bigger question to ask well, here. Well, let's just say I think that Nick is perfectly capable of getting through this and getting out of the other side. And I think it's it's proof of work. It's yeah. really like, yeah. you know, because I don't think this is like I, with him, I don't think it's some inflection point where like, you know, he's trace mimble wimbling and like gone. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like he always was doing this. Bitcoiners only noticed because crypto just blew up and fucked Bitcoin up. And so they attacked him and he took it personally and it got emotional. And like, I think you can get through this. I think he does care about Bitcoin. I don't agree with him about some of his investment theses and his activities. Fucking whatever. I didn't before either. I still liked him writing and speaking about Bitcoin. He's one of the best people we have to put on TV. Like he's fucking awesome. So I hope that he just kind of gets through this. I hope that he doesn't let this have a long tail on the emotional spats with Pierre and me and whoever else and gets through it, puts it behind him and starts writing about Bitcoin investing in more Bitcoin companies, hopefully more Bitcoin companies than shitcoin companies if they have 250 million bucks. And and we can just move on. And like a year from now in summer of 2023, I'll just be talking to him on a podcast, you know, and we'll just be kind of like analyzing what I did right and wrong and what he did right and wrong. And we'll just be homies again. Like that's my dream. And I think it's very possible. Yeah, I think it will go that path because Nick in many ways epitomizes proof of work. I mean, the guy puts out a ridiculous amount of stuff and I think he'll do his thing. I think he'll emerge stronger than this. That's just my personal faith in him. But 
stripping him entirely out of this situation just to have this be any bitcoin uh proponent that's also running a vc fund what i mean this is where i don't know the details of the case but it was just his fund made an investment in a crypto project right it's not like he came out and was uh, being an advocate for some crypto project necessarily he was just doing what his what his fund does and has always done mm-hmm. yeah so from his perspective it's almost like he didn't even what i did was worse than what he did right i did something out of the norm for myself he was literally just doing what he always does but then toxicity yeah but people didn't really suddenly. most people didn't know that's that's the incongruity like most people didn't know. And I think they only knew because it spread like wildfire because of the timing, like him putting this announcement out in November or December wouldn't have, nobody would have really noticed and it wouldn't have caught fire. But in the wake of Luna and Celsius collapsing and, you know, Bitcoiners waking up to the fact that crypto is, if it ever was a net positive for Bitcoin in 2016 or something like that, it's clearly a net negative now. And is frankly, like we haven't finished fighting the war against crypto. We thought we won in 2018, but we didn't. We thought we could move on to banks and gold and the dollar and all this stuff. And like all that happened was $40 billion of crypto VC from funds like Castle Island went into shitcoin equities, right? And so it's actually like a war that Bitcoiners still need to win over shitcoins, right? And so seeing that Nick is actually like with voting with his wallet and his time, other than when he writes and speaks about Bitcoin and tweets about Bitcoin, that he's actually on that other side of the fence working on crypto uh, and promoting those things. Like it is really, it's a different circumstance than it would have been the first three or four years of his investing in shitcoin equities. Right. So that all that makes sense. Yes. All that makes sense. Different circumstances, different outcome. You know, this thing just went different. It's a different time. Bitcoiners have woken up. We realized that the blockchain crypto lobbying associations will act against Bitcoin at a drop of a hat if it serves Andreessen Horowitz and Coinbase. Mm -hmm. And so we needed a bunch of new Bitcoin only, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, like not lobbyist firms, but uh, associations, right? So there's like Sat Center and these other BPI, Bitcoin Policy Institute, like you need your own organizations because your interests have diverged dramatically from crypto. And in fact, crypto versus Bitcoin is still today, unfortunately, the most important war that we have to win in Bitcoin. Okay. So I'll also tease something else out. So the incongruity of you or Nick being so pro-Bitcoin and then doing something shitcoiny is much harder for Bitcoiners to stomach than like, I'll take like Dan Matashevsky who runs like a crypto trading fund, right? CMS Holdings. Like we know what Dan does. He never pretends to do anything else. If he says a bunch of positive stuff on a podcast about Bitcoin, I think he's been on Swan's podcast. I think he's he's definitely done Castle Island a few times. He's the one that, you know, kind of busts foot about Tether because he kind of was like the first trader at, at um, Cumberland. And I think he worked at Circle and now he's running a, a fund up in Boston. Like, so he knows a lot of cool shit. And then, you know, when he turns around and like donates 200 grand to, you know, Bitcoin open source devs, like that's just welcomed. Bitcoiners don't give a shit because he never claimed to be something else. He never picked up those free call options mm-hmm. from you know only tweeting about Bitcoin or or attempting to have a public uh, persona that was basically Bitcoin only. 
mm-hmm. which I think is what Nick has done. Like only because I'm in BTC Nation, which is a bunch of crypto fund managers, was I even aware that his, you know, investing activities are basically the same as Meltem's. Right, so they all do the same deals, and that's basically like it's a it's kind of the same deal. Mm. Um, so I think that was just people finding out really that oh, well, he's been talking about Bitcoin this whole time and and monetizing, not necessarily his Bitcoin influence, but he's making his money through shitcoins, and he's picked up whether you know it consciously or subconsciously and can pinpoint it or not. You know that he has a lot of earnings potential from his Bitcoin advocacy right his writing and his tweeting about bitcoin like it's valuable and we know that it's much easier to get booked on media which then helps you raise money whether you say that you raise money through your bitcoin advocacy or not i know for a fact from lots of other people that are influential in bitcoin circles that it helps them a shit ton in raising vc money so i just have to trust nick that none of his lp funds came from having 400,000 followers and getting on national media to talk about Bitcoin, right? Otherwise, what is he, a guy in his 20s? Nick's in his 20s? I don't know. I don't know his age. I don't, I don't, I don't know how old he is, but whatever. Like he's, he's a young guy and without the audience and the profile, I know just from like doing more media this year that one of the things the reporters always look at and the bookers always look at is like your Twitter following. Mm. And it got dramatically easier to get booked for national media as soon as I crossed over into six figures, like, mm. like clockwork, man, ticked over, boom, everything, hmm. let alone a blue check. Right, right. So, right. So I just don't, I just don't believe it. And Nick's asking me to trust him that, you know, talking about Bitcoin doesn't help him raise money to invest in shitcoin companies. Yeah. So man a lot to unpack there so <laughs> let me try anyway, to ask, let's change let's change topics well, let me try to ask this question first i'm trying to strip nick out of this because i don't want to talk about nick a guy that was a venture capitalist that was running his running his fund mm-hmm. allocating capital into projects as he's been doing right he hasn't done anything different but then there's a different response from the public eye right the court of public opinion on those activities is that I'm just is that a useful is that useful toxicity to highlight that guy that's investing in these other projects or was it just it was useful but it should have been done much earlier I guess would be the point is that this just kind of flew under the radar nobody noticed because of market conditions no I think I think it's timing I think it's absolutely the right time because I don't think that it was clear to a majority of Bitcoiners that that we hadn't won the battle versus crypto you know like we thought we vanquished them potentially in 2017 in 2000 in 2018 yeah 2017 18 yeah. come through the bear market there were tons of good bitcoin podcasts and books and the resurgence of you know bitcoin only and mm-hmm. bitcoin conferences and everything and then this massive flood of crypto vc taking advantage of, you know, we talked about this last time I was on, you know, taking advantage of, you know, short time to liquidity and, you know, absolutely no repercussions for false marketing. The combination of those two things, you can say whatever the fuck you want and you can dump on retail very quickly has created this incredible opportunity that makes crypto VC like the best vertical for venture capital as a business in the history right. of venture capital. It accelerates the VC. They're making, they're making more money doing this than anything that they've ever done before. 
which is why they're mortgaging their reputations of their firms, whether it's Sequoia or Andreessen Horowitz or any of the other shitcoin, you know, formerly just like clean, reputable VCs mm -hmm. are just like wrecking their reputations on the stuff because it's like a one-time trade. You just, you don't pass on this. If you're morally okay with it for whatever reason, you don't pass on this. You get it while the getting's good before the regulations come in, before mm -hmm. Coinbase is a securities exchange and all these things are, you know, actually have the Howie test applied to them. Like getting is good, get it done. Making hay while the sun shines. Intergenerational wealth being created in shitcoin VC right now. Hmm. How do we square then if, if crypto then is a legitimate threat to Bitcoin? How do we reconcile that with Bitcoin being fundamentally different and a lot of people say inevitable? Oh, Bitcoin's still inevitable. It well, then how is crypto a threat to Bitcoin if it's inevitable? If something's inevitable, I didn't, was, I didn't say it was a threat. I thought we I said, said we hadn't. I said we hadn't won the war yet. It's inevitable that we will. Oh, okay. Because Bitcoin can't be banned, can't be regulated out of existence, but shitcoins can. Okay. So they all have central teams. So the success of Bitcoin is inevitable, but crypto is a drag on the success, as in a delay. Yes, it's a delay. It's a okay. major delay. Yes, we're delaying Bitcoinization. We are performing tens of billions of dollars worth of malinvestment into crypto instead of Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't need that much, like whatever. Like I said, like it'd be amazing if it got a tenth of the money that went into crypto. Right. But it's the, a delay, not a threat. It's a delay, not a threat. Bitcoin okay. happens anyway. We're just delaying it. Okay. The other comment you made there was it. it's obvious that crypto is a net negative for bitcoin now when we first met in i think 2018 we're kind of having this conversation about shit coins being a regulatory smoke screen and these other little advantages they might actually be giving bitcoin ultimately um again my own personal journey which is just weird but i've heard echoed from others as well ethereum's marketing is what got me what led me to my light bulb moment ultimately when I saw smart contracts got into Nick Zabo's work, that was my, my tripping into the Bitcoin rabbit hole effectively through Ethereum marketing. How do you, th then the advantages that we thought crypto afforded Bitcoin back in 2018, you think those have largely, it's just flipped. Those are now much less or non-existent relative to all of the delays yeah. they're creating. For I mean, Bitcoin. like with anything, there's always positives and negatives. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think you have to decide for yourself where you think those things rank. And then mm -hmm. you have to make an estimation of what you think other people think right now. And all I'm mm -hmm. saying is that I think more people now recognize that crypto is net negative for Bitcoin mm. and that the two big things were, you know, one, all of the fly by night, get rich quick people that would have just DDoSed the shit out of Bitcoiners could go off and do scams instead. And then two, maybe there's some kind of like regulatory smokescreen and they'll focus on these scams and not focus on Bitcoin when it's like still young enough or small enough to, to, for the government to fuck with it. And now I'm saying, you know, in 2022, not 2016 or whatever, I think it's very clear that what we saw in the last cycle with Andreessen Horowitz and Solana and Jump and Paradigm and Coinbase and Coinbase Ventures and Binance and Doquan and Celsius and BlockFi and Nexo and all these CFI lenders, Voyager, et cetera, 
I think what we've seen is that crypto is vastly net negative for Bitcoin now. I think that's super clear. That's my personal judgment. I also estimate that most Bitcoiners believe this now. And so that's what's changed. Whereas people might have said like, oh, Nick's a blockchain VC who writes eloquently about Bitcoin in 2019 and nobody gave a shit. Now the circumstances have changed. We recognize that crypto is dramatic. Crypto blockchain and crypto blockchain VC is dramatically net negative for Bitcoin. And so if you go out there and promote that deal today versus three years ago, there's the potential for, you know, a uh, bit clout style tender box moment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, all right. Toxicity, Bitcoin toxicity. We've talked about it already, but let's do kind of the deep dive into it here. So I originally thought toxicity was just this cultural immune system, which I, you know, still is to some extent. But when we met recently in LA, you made this point. You said, no, it's also about attacking asymmetries. Mm -hmm. And this is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart is that the reason I'm passionate about Bitcoin is because I think the ultimate institutionalized asymmetry in the world is the central bank funded nation state effectively, just preying on people in, in many ways. Um, and toxicity towards the state, which is pretty common amongst Bitcoiners, seems to be something that's really valuable. But I never, I guess I had this, maybe it's like a naive optimism about the rest of crypto as just being this like liquid venture capital, you know, 99% of them fail, 1% of them succeed, wash and repeat kind of thing without knowing, like getting into the mechanics as we've done today, where you're describing like, no, this is just, They've taken that model, their traditional model, amplified it and accelerated it because they can say whatever they want and there's no regulatory repercussions. So it's much more Ponzi-esque than mm -hmm. I ever imagined. Um, but my question is, so toxicity then would be this act of self-regulating that unregulated market space to some extent. What do you see... But, but this, hmm. from, again, from the outs, taking the outsider's perspective, when we see Bitcoiners attacking shitcoins, shitcoiners, their projects, et cetera, it seems to create the impression that Bitcoin is somehow threatened by crypto or they're actually competing. Like there is the, you know, the general misconception. There's 30,000 cryptos. How could we possibly know which one is going to win, right? Any of these could pull the, the Facebook MySpace flip, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that toxicity from an outside perspective of Bitcoiners attacking shitcoin projects actually creates the illusion or appearance that they're on equal footing at times, Bitcoin and crypto? Um, I think it would be disingenuous to say that it can never happen. I think it can happen to some observers sometimes because anytime you see two people in a fight, you kind of assume that there may be merits to both, right? So I think that's uh, that's one of the risks of you know rolling in the mud with a pig. <laughs> it's hard, hard to tell you apart from the pig once you get covered in the mud. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. From, I'm not from. Uh, not from the south, so I'm not really sure how it. the analogy goes. But don't don't <laughs> wrestle with a pig because the pig likes it, and you end up getting dirty. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so that that basically is what it comes down to. So, you know, I think there is some of that, right? There's a lot of, uh, you know, a, cryptos want to argue with Bitcoin because they're machine gun Kelly taking pot shots at Eminem and hoping to end up with Megan Fox, right? <laughs> it works sometimes right you know that's what that's what diss tracks are all about for up-and-coming rappers in new york like you know i don't know if you ever heard like 50 cents uh first song that got super popular it was just on a mixtape it was called how to rob and it was basically yeah. just about him robbing like every single rapper that ever came from new york <laughs> and it was just like it, it's hilarious and it's great and it's like you know if, and if somebody wanted to come back at him and do a diss track back at 50 cent all they're going to do is just make him famous so when right. eminem actually decided to sit down in a studio you know pay a producer either with a favor or just cashing in some chips or giving him money to like do a track for it and recording a song about this little white dude machine gun kelly all you did is just make the guy famous uh -huh. right he's picking that fight on purpose same reason i say delete coinbase before we launch swan I'm trying to pick a fight with Coinbase, like right. dreaming of Brian Armstrong tweeting something about Swan. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Getting some of and that it's attention. As, it's asymmetric, right? So, so yeah. So Bitcoiners do have to be kind of careful of that, and that's why I think the influential ignorance thing is is probably important. So I think you know you don't need to pick fights with you know Coin Number Sixty Eight or something like that. But you know if something's like in the top ten and is getting institutional interest for some dumb reason or right. getting countries on board with some scam like i mean just that alone like you know stuff that cardano is doing in ethiopia is like basically evil right so I, that if you have a heart and care about anybody on the planet i don't ever, know what cardano is doing in ethiopia right and why would you it sounds terrible it's it's awful stuff right so again like there are people that take up that charge and it's close enough to them and like calcasa lives over there and he's ethiopian and he's smart and well educated and so he that's in his sphere of influence close to him he's a bitcoiner he cares about this because he's ethiopian so he's going to take that on i don't have to because it's like there are people better suited to do that and i'm not shitcoin pi I can be kind of like vaguely aware of it and I can retweet it if I deem that person to be credible or whatever, just like people who deem me to be credible. If I'm tweeting about Do Kwan or Mashinsky, they may retweet me or go a click deeper and figure it out. But, um, you know, that's, I, I just, I love that, you know, reserve it for influential ignorance in your area, like your domain, your domain of expertise. Like if it's close to something I know quite a lot about, um, and the the ignorance is influential they have a large audience for their bullshit then i think that's a good time to go on the attack but you don't have to be on attack all the time right right um okay so bitcoin takes over the world bitcoin becomes the global monetary standard <clears throat> what at that point because this is another thing i, I was wrestling with myself is Okay, toxicity is very necessary early on, but if Bitcoin becomes the de facto money of the world, what would be the purpose of toxicity at that point? Would it still be a cultural phenomenon, do you think, at the point where Bitcoin is global money? Yeah, but it would be back to, it would back, be back in the arena of, again, something that you know a lot about where you see influential ignorance 
like activist investors, you know, they put together like a 70 page slide deck explaining exactly why some company that they're shorting is being fraudulent because they know a lot about that industry, whether it's like REITs or telecoms or whatever. And now they've given themselves some skin in the game by raising a fund to go short on it. And they're going to put out the research. It seems super toxic. They're calling out the false backgrounds of the executives and pointing out that this guy got arrested at some previous job and like all this other stuff. Like they're putting together the dossier and doing it like a journalist and they're, they're pointing out the fraud. And that seems mean. And I'm sure, you know, if they used the vocab the way the shit coiners do and the shit coin apologists do, they'd say that that firm is being super toxic. How mean mm-hmm. trying to expose us. I'm losing money because I have all this stock in whatever dot com from 1998. <laughs> so then toxicity is more general than just Bitcoin. Then again, um, it flows wherever there are asymmetries and people are trying to self-regulate those asymmetries out of exactly. existence. Yes. So in 100%. a Bitcoinized world, then that toxicity would flow away from defending Bitcoin because Bitcoin would need no defense. Exactly. I don't know if defense is the right word, if crypto is not a threat, but the delays, whatever they are, and it would go to more um, standard projects and business ventures. I mean, it's it's all around us all the time. Like it's on Twitter all the time too, outside of Bitcoin Twitter. I mean, there's, there's, there's toxic crypto people. There are crypto funds that like their layer one and are toxic toward other layer ones. You know, did you know the thing? There's like Ethereum maximalists, evidently. <laughs> they That's they get slandered. They get slandered it with it by the other shit coins saying, like, oh, you're just an Ethereum maximalist. You don't believe in like a multi smart chain, smart contract chain world. You're an Ethereum maximalist. Right. You know, it's just something, it's just something that you get slandered with if you are basically like pointing out the deficiencies or the asymmetries in, in some fraud, basically. Right, right, right. Point well taken. Again, from the outsider perspective, though, I think that a lot of these, again, until there's a collapse, right? So the people that thought you were mean two months ago, and now they're thanking you. Um, there are times, I guess, in the market cycle when the toxicity can be off-putting, even preventing people from getting into Bitcoin. But over time, it's a better tool that serves um, people's financial interests ultimately, right? To avoid frauds and invest in the truth. Yeah, I don't think you have to label it toxicity. I think it's just like, do you tell the truth? Well, um, it seems like there is some stuff that takes place on Twitter though that's not, not it's not always telling the truth. And then people will put the yeah. label Bitcoiner will be like, oh, I'm just being a toxic Bitcoiner. And they'll say whatever they want call it toxic Bitcoin maximalism. And it's like, they're good. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's obviously like some 4chan-ish type elements and meme warfare and, you know, memeing people and things like that. There's plenty of that in, in every culture. Like, I don't know if you've seen like NBA Twitter (laughs) anytime recently, but it can be pretty vicious as well. Um, I don't know. There's plenty, plenty of subcultures that have much more mean stuff going on than crypto and Bitcoin. So that makes sense. But Bitcoin succeeds and we don't have Bitcoin toxic maximalism in the same way we don't have HTTP toxic maximalism, right? It's just the accepted standard. The toxicity goes elsewhere, wherever it is needed. 
Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah. we yeah, mentioned- I don't know what kind of, what kind of backroom deals and like nefarious business deals were made to have Blu-ray beat HD DVD, right? HD DVD was a better technology. Beta was a better technology than VHS. I don't know what kind of nefarious things went down to, to help VHS beat beta. Right. <laughs> okay. So we mentioned this earlier. Um, a lot of Bitcoiners tend to be trait disagreeable. Uh, what, well, let's just talk about that. The personality dimensions that are common among Bitcoiners. Trait disagreeable is one that comes to mind. I think you mentioned another earlier. What's going on there? How we said we we're going to talk about this. Why is it yeah. that people that get into Bitcoin tend to exhibit these common psychological characteristics? Again, like, I don't know if it's actually true or if it's just something that it's like among the more visible ones that talk a lot. You know, like if you agree with everything being said, there's less incentive to chime in and say it again. Mm -hmm. um, so almost by definition, you're going to see more sort of contrasting viewpoints in public because there's a reason to say it if you don't agree. So I think it almost just automatically selects for uh, seeing more disagreeable points of view because hmm. if you agree there's no reason in saying it again mm -hmm. unless you like stealing other people's tweets i guess <laughs> which can't um, actually be stealing if it's just intellectual if intellectual property is a, a fraud totally totally yeah anyway. um uh so i don't know i guess we were talking about like yeah some of the things that seem to pop up among Bitcoiners more often than, than the general population. And, you know, I think there's, there's certainly people that are kind of disagreeable. There are people that are kind of entrepreneurial, uh, autodidacts seem to be pretty frequent because you have to be comfortable learning without instruction, teaching yourself a lot of these different things from these different areas and kind of enjoying that. You, you kind of have to enjoy it to, even get far enough to understand Bitcoin. You have to enjoy learning. So to do your 100 hours. 100, 1,000. Are we at 100 now? The, the signal's so strong, it's down to 100. I mean, the starting point's 100 hours, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's probably a lot more diversity uh, under the surface of kind of what's easily visible on Bitcoin, Twitter, and podcasts. That'd be my guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, the trait disagreeableness seems to be common. Even when I interact with people in person, they, you know, Bitcoiners tell me, oh yeah, I've always been kind of a free thinker, you know, questioning the status quo, conventional wisdom. There's this tendency to be near the intellectual periphery. It seems to me, at least among Bitcoiners that I know personally. Um, but again, Twitter is kind of a different world. And you, you said this point in our last recording that, you know, dunking on shit corners can just be fun. Like there seems like mm -hmm. there's people that they probably just have fun making memes on these people yes. and saying mean things to them. Yeah. Right. Just doing that and not really doing anything else for Bitcoin. Other shit than, posting, basically. Yeah. Shit posting and presumably buying Bitcoin. We don't know, but presumably they most are. of them do. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think they do. They post Hopefully. their screenshots and stuff. Yeah. It'd be pretty strange to make all those memes and not buy the Bitcoin. Um, I think the Bitcoin buying comes first and then the, and then the meme generation comes second. Then the meme generation. <laughs> so 
maybe part of the problem here is where we lump all this into, again, this useful fiction of Bitcoin toxic maximalist. But in reality, there are these different cohorts, right? There are those that are actually authentically attacking asymmetries, but it also seems like there might be some that are just doing it to play power games on Twitter. I mean, I've, I've experienced this. I've had people come at me, say a bunch of shit that's not true, and then say, you know, BitCloud forever, I'm out, toxic Bitcoin maxi. And it's like, you literally just said a bunch of things that aren't true and then called yourself a toxic maxi and then try to put another jab in me about uh, the BitCloud fiasco. And so I don't know. It's just like, I hear you on all these points. Like it's relevant, it's useful, but it also gets taken, like anything else, it can be taken too far. And there are people that are using it for bad purposes, I guess. Well, let me just, let me flip this and say, uh, someone who is kind of finds themselves in a position of being a shitcoin apologist intentionally or accidentally, who then finds it expedient to paint all Bitcoiners with a broad brush and to lump people who are, as you were pointing out, you know, dedicating a good chunk of their time and thought and effort to uncovering asymmetries, calling a fraud a fraud, being thoughtful about, you know, which which causes to take up because they're sort of reserving it for influential ignorance or whatever. Um, and lumping them together very deliberately and saying like, oh, they're all just mean and toxic. That's what I get. That's when I get back to like this sort of juvenile uh, disingenuous partner in a debate using high school debate tactics. And it seems like there's a number of these people that have kind of seceded from Bitcoin in the last year and kind of headed down that path. Mm. And the rhetorical tactics are very similar and they are very much like what you learn in high, in high school debate to win points. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I see somebody starting to slip into uh, just trying to win points and moving goalposts and not actually you know, sort of being a genuine partner in a conversation, I'm pretty much fucking done with that person. Mm. Yeah, the it seems like the ad hominem, uh, which could be coming from outsiders to Bitcoiners calling them toxic or from Bitcoiners to the outside calling them shitcoiners, it seems to uh, exacerbate this process of getting it to get into the ego or it gets away from the ideas and into the individuals, basically. Yeah. And, we, and they just start talking past one another. So that this was another issue I had with just my experience of toxicity. Like it didn't seem to lead to a lot of productive dialogue, yeah. at least in the short run. But it seems like in the long run, it's planting some very useful seeds. So I shared this with you before our last episode, that my current view on it is that toxicity is like this useful fiction in the same way that we treat every gun as if it's loaded. We know not every gun is loaded, but you treat every gun as if it's loaded so you don't hurt yourself or others. Right? You, you're playing pretend effectively that maybe similarly in the crypto space, it is useful and indeed protective to play pretend that everything is a scam. Everything's a scam except Bitcoin. And so maybe that is just a really useful fiction um, that has well, that's, that's the become part of the culture. Yeah. I think they wrote that in like 2013 or 14 or something. That's uh, kind of a Bitstein and Pierre thing. You know, everything's a scam. Everyone's mm -hmm. a scammer. 
-hmm. you know, and it's just a way to kind of think about everything in Bitcoin terms. I mean, it's, it's another way to say, you know, infinity divided by 21 million in some ways, Mm -hmm. it's like really be thoughtful around we're early in the monetization of the best monetary asset we've ever had on the planet. Chances are this thing is going way up in purchasing power. Are you sure you want to invest in that startup, buy that house, buy that car, trade that shit coin, buy that boat, sit in that that chair, sit in that chair, like whatever it is. I think it's just shorthand for like really examining whether, you know, cause it's, it's not just should my dollars stay in dollars or go into Bitcoin. It's literally every other thing that you could be spending money on everything that you own, everything that you could own, everything you spend money on could be Bitcoin instead. Right. And so it's just being, I think it's just getting people in that mindset of like a savings mindset, really. I mean, Swan is largely just because of all of the tweeting and writing of Pierre and Friar Haas in 2018 and 2019 about Bitcoin as a savings technology and just like how powerful, I think Gigi was all over this as well, like how powerful it is just to set up an automatic recurring purchase plan. And that was the, the light bulb moment for me was like, how much better that was for me as a human once I got on that and stopped thinking about, you know, getting alerts on my damn phone, trying to see if my limit orders hit. <laughs> right, 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 right. And just like, yeah. you just can get back to being a productive, normal member of society doing what you do well. If you just set up an automatic recurring purchase plan and get on about your day, match it to your right. fiat inflows, pay yourself in Bitcoin, move on and do something productive instead of pretending to be a crypto trader. Right. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. So, I mean, I guess you've already, I think you kind of hit this one because you said the dollar is not a shit coin, which is a very surprising answer to me because, you know, you may, you sent this thing to me once something about, I think from Ans, Ansel Lender, Lender don't, yeah. don't discriminate for what people buy, but what people sell. And that got me thinking, I'm like, oh, well, what, what does that mean? And then I thought as a user of dollars, you know, I'm actually, I'm selling these dollars for stuff all the time. Like I use it to interact with the world. And if the dollar is the ultimate shitcoin, um, doesn't that just make me and every dollar user a shitcoiner? But I guess if you've categorically carved out the dollar, I think you've answered that question. I, just, I, I I've just restricted what my definition of shitcoins is to like actual shit on coin market cap, basically. Right. right. Have you ever, because one of the, okay, so I talked to John Verveke. I don't know if you watched that series or not, um, but he, he's a um, colleague of Jordan Peterson's. He has this great YouTube series called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. And he describes how the same neurophysiological machinery we use to adapt to the world and learn, the same machinery opens us up to self-deception. Like it's, we're constantly trying to adapt to this world but there's some elements where we almost have to fake it till we make it in a way to like to try something to experiment, see if it sticks or not. And so he goes through this whole history of how humans have been dealing with this. Like we've been trying to cultivate wisdom to prevent self-deception. Seems like toxicity is kind of doing something similar, right? It's trying to get people to not deceive themselves into investing in that shiny new object and just be prudent keep stacking, stay humble, all of that. Have you 
personally ever dealt with a self-deception and like how do you how do you train yourself or prepare yourself to try and not go through that again because <laughs> it seems to be a very important point again i think individually yeah. and collectively in in bitcoin so actually i want to first answer uh this is making me realize another amazing function of let's just call it kind of like the Bitcoin or hive mind or whatever. Uh, as a Bitcoin company, Swan, I don't really need like a competitive research division. Uh, I don't really need like a huge QA team. Like there's so many things that I don't need because we have Bitcoiners in the millions out there, or at least the you know tens or hundreds of thousands on Twitter and Telegram, perfectly willing to tell us all the time exactly what they think. And this is, this is like how you can define your brand and what you do. You get feedback all the time on everything you do all the time. I get feedback on all of my employees, the things that they say and do all the time mm -hmm. in my DMs, right on threads calling them out for this or that perceived transgression or this opinion that they hold or whatever. Like you can literally manage performance management and reviews and everything are basically just done by the Bitcoin hive mind in a weird way for at least all our public facing employees, hmm. which is wild when you think about it. Uh, app feedback, website feedback, feedback on like our KYC AML procedures, how different things work, notifications, security, like literally everything it forces you to always consider security to the utmost because that's the bitcoin way it forces you to always maximize privacy as much as you possibly can it forces you to uh you know divert engineering resources toward building things that make security and privacy better right like we just you know being a bitcoin only startup in the us with so many vociferous uh, toxic Bitcoin maxis out there. We were held to a higher standard than the crypto exchanges around the world with smaller, smaller user bases in smaller countries. And obviously like they weren't getting the time of day with the crypto exchanges, but people were so mad about having to give over their XPUB to exchanges for withdrawals because you could use that XPUB to actually see all of the addresses. So even though you were not doing address reuse, you could actually see it if you had the XPUB and they had to trust the centralized exchange to not lose or expose that XPUB. So it forced us to go and actually build an XPUB address extractor that was open source where you could provably see that nobody could ever see the XPUB, that it was like hashed and then extracted mm -hmm. the addresses and then unhashed and like you could get, so we could pull a thousand addresses from the XPUB without ever seeing the XPUB. That never existed before, open sourced it, put it on GitHub, anybody can use it. So that's the type of thing where like the toxic Bitcoin maxis that are trying to make everything the most Bitcoin all the time you know, force you to do things that are good for Bitcoin. So they deserve a ton of uh, credit for making services like us and Unchained and Casa and all these Bitcoin only companies way, way better because it's their feedback and their needs and their desires and their insistence on if you don't do it the best way possible for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners, 
I'm gonna fucking blow you up on Twitter mm-hmm. <laughs> and make life very difficult for you. And it happens all the time. Men go back to like 2019. Oh God, I loved, what was my little, I, I pitched it at Bitcoin 2019 in June and like did it that night, you know, in front of like Adam Back and Jimmy and Bitcoin Tina and all these, you know, people, Stefan Levera. And I think it was uh, give time lock educate. I think was, you know, you're supposed to like give somebody Bitcoin, time lock it, and then educate them about Bitcoin. And that was like the magic formula for orange pilling people. And we do it today as part of Swan. And like, you know, within a few weeks of having that out there and I was, you know, I created the give Bitcoin account and I was like getting people on the waiting list with, you know, one, give, two, time lock, three, educate. And then of course, you know, NVK and a few others start getting on there and pointing out, you know, Time lock actually means something in Bitcoin. It's an actual like function in the Bitcoin code. And like, you're not time locking, like you're just locking it up at a custodian. That's bullshit. <laughs> and the, so like a few kind of influential Bitcoiners were kind of nice about it. And then, you know, and then I argued and I was like, but dude, it's like, I, I know that, but time lock had a meaning before Bitcoin. And they're like, well, you're now promoting in the Bitcoin space and, and I don't fucking like it. And so you're going to either comply and change that word to escrow, or I'll be here on Twitter tomorrow fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I learned. And so I changed it and it became, you know, whatever, give lockup as educator, give escrow educate or something. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you don't really like you either, you either can fight these guys and they'll DDoS the shit out of your time, or you can, just like do the right thing. They don't steer you wrong because right. if you argue back and forth at them enough to the point where, you know, influential Bitcoiners come, like I disagree with clubs often. I have many, many times. And if I really feel that I'm right, I state my case. Eventually, like the threads just end up with everybody in support of me. And, and it turns out that I'm right. So you don't have to give up just because. But if you see it going the other way and you find out that you're getting in arguments with a lot of people who are very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. My litmus test was like, like as soon as you ended up in an argument with Gigi, it was like, Rob, pull back, bro. <laughs> it's like, there are certain people that it's just like, you know, not that they're saints or anything like that, but like, you, they're just like bellwethers who might want to take a, take a look at that one. And sometimes I run up against these people with like little marketing terms or things that we're doing or pushing or whatever it is. And, and I run up against it and I'm like, oh, they didn't like that. Like Odell doesn't think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Jan, Jan, mm-hmm. is there another way to do that? Let's get Prime Trust on the phone. Let's figure out a different way. You know what? Just fuck that feature. Just not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the plebs really do and the toxic maxis or whatever. These people that want the best for Bitcoin all the time and want companies who they know benefit from them giving us free organic reach. They give mm-hmm. us all the free word of mouth like the hugest thing that we have going for us as Bitcoin only companies. And this is true for all of them. It's the pitch that I make for these, for these VCs is we can all be basically capital efficient. Cause if you build something good, Bitcoiners will just word of mouth you to the top. Mm-hmm. So you can spend almost nothing on marketing. You can't, you can't benefit from all the free recommendations, all the free labor, all the free feedback, and that constant hive mind guide railing of like what you should do next in what area and how you should do it and think that you don't fucking owe them anything. Mm-hmm. It's so intellectually dishonest. 
the because Bitcoin is the intransigent minority, right? Yes. So the fact that you're in Bitcoin means you constitute that intransigent minority. And so you're going to give, I guess you're going to receive high signal feedback from that culture. Oh yeah. These people care a lot. Right. If you don't listen to, if you don't listen to, if you don't listen to the hoi polloi because you're elite, you're fucking up. Right. And this is back to the whole leaderlessness of Bitcoin, right? It's bottom up. It's emergent. Yeah. We're, we're kind of outsourcing all of our sanity collectively to this hive mind. It's sanity checking us all the time, yeah. right? Individually, and by the way, whatever it may be. Another point, a lot of these Anons with a few hundred followers are way smarter and more accomplished than almost anybody working in Bitcoin, whether they're writing about Bitcoin, talking about Bitcoin or running a Bitcoin company. They will often just like divulge, you know, in they'll divulge in dm or something you know or get in touch for a one-on-one -on -one or something and and you'll find out that somebody is you know runs a hedge fund and has been for 30 years or you know owns this huge real estate empire in a multi-family office or something like that and they just like to be anons on twitter so a lot of times you think that you're fucking with people that are just anons behind a keyboard they're really into bitcoin and they choose to be anonymous and they are absolutely running circles around the supposed like elite Bitcoin influencer professionally and personally in terms of success. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it is, does seem to be very distinctive to Bitcoin, this toxic cultural phenomenon. And yeah, as someone that's been around it for a while, I think on the surface, it's, it's off-putting in many, many ways for many, many people, but hopefully this conversation, we've dug beneath the surface a bit more so people can see the benefits of it. Um, this has been really, really enlightening for me, actually, to peel back the layers on all this, so I appreciate that. Uh, is there anything else you want to say to the people before we wrap this thing up? I really do enjoy just hanging out with people, Bitcoiners and non-Bitcoiners, and just hanging out. And I hope everybody comes out for the conference in LA in the fall, November 10th and 11th should be good. Um, and yeah, I mean, just try to try to like take a beat. I'm trying to do this more often because this this three months of you know just being vocal about Luna and then Celsius, you know, has kind of put. Uh, well, it got me so many more followers that don't know my history, right? So they just kind of think like, oh, I'm just the guy who attacks Luna. And so they want that to happen again, or they're kind of, you know, calling bullshit about this or that or whatever. And so it's just like a very different social media experience for me now. So I actually have a lot more empathy for people that have had long, larger followings for a long time and kind of put up with, you know, a very different style of, of engagement. And it does become a little bit more, more, one to many by definition right. and a little bit less of like a two-way dialogue, which I was able to achieve almost always a two-way dialogue up until earlier this year. So that starts to change a little bit. And so I have empathy for it. I'm sure that as Swan grows and my, I have more time constraints or whatever, like by definition, I'm going to lose touch to some degree 
I would imagine, or just won't have as much time to have like my finger on the pulse of what's going on with, with Bitcoiners and Bitcoiner culture and things like that. I'm going to try really hard to stay fully involved and, and not, I don't want to create that distance. It may get created for me to some degree, but I'm definitely not, I'm going to try to maintain personal Corey boots on the ground forever Mm -hmm. and always be there in the mix with the plebs. Right. So, um, I don't know. I just, I just think Bitcoin is unique. I think, you know, as much as, as much as analogies for other assets and technological innovations always fail. And as much as models always fail when it comes to TA and price, uh, I also think that, you know, analogies to industries fail too, right? Like this is not, this is not the cloud industry. It's not clean tech. It's not EVs, it's not SaaS companies, it's not software, it's not internet, it's not social media. Like this is just a different, it's a different beast with its own rhythm and its own cycles. And, you know, if you're not careful, almost by definition, it forces you to buy, buy Bitcoin high and sell it low, which all the miners find out constantly, but all the startups find out as well. Like every Bitcoin startup that tries to have a Bitcoin treasury finds itself like under pressure if they bought a bunch of Bitcoin at 60 and it goes down to 20 and it's like, oh shit, there's my raise. Um, <laughs> you know, so like, you know, there's just a lot of different things at work. And I think people are just learning, learning this industry um, and how to, how to build companies in this industry. But I obviously am voting with my own time and my own money investing in all these other Bitcoin startups and starting a new uh committed capital fund, elzontecapital.com. You can check it out. Uh, it's crowdfunding registered, so we're allowed to advertise the heck out of it, but you should definitely join that one. Um, and then obviously the Bitcoin Ventures Syndicate, bitcoinerventures.com. You can just become an LP in that. It's a angelist syndicate, so you don't actually have to invest in every deal. You can choose the ones that you want to. So I'm super bullish on, on everything going on in, in Lightning. I think there's going to be some big winners there. I think companies like Swan are going to achieve what we set out to do. I think we're going to be a multi-billion dollar company. I think we'll be NASDAQ listed in two or three years. And uh, I think, you know, it seems obvious at this point that there is a space and a need for Bitcoin only financial services and Bitcoin only uh, payments companies. And I think the first category, the opportunity is like right now, and it's kind of sort of obvious and in front of us because Bitcoin is still a nascent store of value and we've got to pump a lot more of the asset mix into Bitcoin from every category. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this next cohort of people who have been into Bitcoin for you know eight to 10 years buying a lot with conviction, uh, when that 2016, 17, 18 cohort kind of graduates to having 90 plus percent of their net worth in Bitcoin by 2025, 2026, then it will be way easier for payments moe startups in bitcoin to have kind of venture scale it may be one more three or four year block past that i'm hoping that it's the first one and i'm placing a lot of bets in companies um, under the assumption that there's a good chance that we see that happen in the western world where they can kind of have like venture scale returns um but regardless i think it's for sure this decade that you see bitcoin start to really take off as a medium of exchange um, at least as far as having great returns for investments in Bitcoin startups. So that's kind of the map of where I'm looking at things and, and what I think is interesting. But, um, you know, I'm just, I'm super bullish, obviously, on, on Bitcoin as an asset, as a monetary network, 
and absolutely as a culture. Great point to finish on. Um, appreciate you saying all that and sharing the roadmap. And um, thanks, man. Thanks for everything you do for Bitcoin. I know we don't have any leaders in this thing, but um, it's nice to see someone committed. And I think that that comes through in your work and your speech. So, so thanks for that. Uh, I'm not even going to ask you to plug your Twitter because I think everyone knows where you're at. But um, I think we just drop it right there. All right. Great to see you, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Corey.